Hi everyone, welcome back to the second part of this interview with Graham Massey. Thanks for all the people who listened to the first part and all the nice things and uh, people said and blah blah blah. Really appreciate that and um, and so does Graham I'm sure. Um, yeah, just to say I'm just, I split this, we went, we had a break, a comfort break as they say. And then when we came back, we just started chatting again and, and I was trying to find a kind of point to pick up. Um, and it was quite tricky, actually. So you're going to have to sort of bear with the first five minutes. It's a bit of a meandering story of the history of um, a sort of weird part of my life, which I have actually talked about in the previous podcast, actually. Um, if you want to go back to that episode... It was the episode about uh, lymphoma and my um, my kind of time dealing with that nightmare um, back in 2000, 2001. And, um, yeah, so, but it does kind of get, we kind of get going after about five minutes. I just, if I, if I sort of link to that, <laughs> it would just be a bit weird. Uh, it's a bit weird anyway, because if you go from part one to this, to, to, there's, there's some stuff I have actually not included because it was just us sort of chatting as we, as we sat down again. And uh, and actually, Graham asked me at one point, he said, oh, uh, do you want to turn the thing on? I said, oh, it's all right, I already did about 10 minutes ago. So there might even be reference to that in this in this bit of um, of this next bit. So, yeah, anyway, sit back, enjoy this. Um, and, yeah, and thanks for coming back and listening to the second part of this uh, interview uh, with the great Graham Massey. Rob's left. Yeah. It? So. Yeah. So. Uh, John's next. Northern. Rob's been doing like a residency at the band on the wall with this thing called Elf Traps that he's cooked up. It's like him and a uh, keyboard player. Okay. And so they've had a residency for about eight months or something. Yeah. Every yeah. when uh, once a month on a Wednesday. I've been got. I, I missed two of them. I went to. Right. Them. Right. But it's been interesting to see it develop into a thing. Yes. But... Because uh, we used to have a residency with Tulsha. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that was a... <laughs> it was a when thing, it, wasn't Yeah, it? when it was hemorrhaging money. and yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. That was the best times when they were losing money yeah, and we were money. playing. We were playing, <laughs> and it was like the 18th refurb, you yeah. know. Now, now, now it's... Uh, you know, it has to go through a committee or done it or something, you know. I think so, yeah. But it's still, a bit more scientifically put together. I think so, but I still don't get the economics of it because, I mean, I, I had a real cock-up because, um, you know, um, piano player Emmett Cohen, he did that gig, didn't he, recently, and I bought a ticket. And then on the day, I, I was so busy at work, I just hadn't thought about... that. I bought this ticket, 30 quid it was, yeah. and it was on some ticket thing that was the band on the wall online thing anyway I came to the day to go to the gig the evening I had my tea and I was about to get in the car I went to get my went to the email oh, I don't have any alright oh, I went to, so I logged in it said oh we've sent your ticket I never had this ticket oh it came in the post no I opted for an e I opted for an e-ticket oh. and I just didn't have it oh. and I couldn't go in the end but um, some people were telling me that they put seats out because they didn't sell uh, that many. Yeah. I was like, how are they making this thing pay? You know, I just, I don't kind of understand. With Emmett Cohen, they're not selling Emmett Cohen out, who's one of the, one of the biggest kind of names in that jazz thing at the moment because uh, he was doing those gigs from his New York flat, wasn't he, and all that, during COVID. And, uh, 
These elf chap ones are in the mm. in the bar stage. They're on the bar, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the nicer. Which we could have done with at the time, really. Yeah, yeah. There was some nights we had about five people. It was a yeah. It, it was, was a bit hit and miss. It was hit and miss because I did it with Jamie O'Dell as well. We did some. We did a few. We did New Year's a couple of times with the Gymster thing in the late nineties, like eight nine. We did New Year ninety eight ninety nine, and because uh, Millennial New Year, I'd been really ill, and I I was at your party in Chelsea. Oh yeah, I got some photos of that. Yeah, yeah. around the corner, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, with that little funky little like. Yeah, it was like a sort of village hall, wasn't it? Yeah, like glasses. Like I remember it being like a it was like a circular building yeah it's like it? a scout hut type yeah. vibe yeah and that was the first time I'd been out of the flat for weeks because I had this yeah. weird virus but it was before yeah. you was, still had your hair still had my hair and I'd been poorly and then I was poorly again in February yeah. and then I went to the doctors had all these things in my neck these yeah. lumps you know these gland things yeah. and then eventually I got this diagnosis by yeah. June you know, the lymphoma thing, you know, and that's what all that had been about that, you know, I'd yeah. had it for ages before then, you know, it was... It just took that long to get a diagnosis, it? it? took, well, yeah, I mean, I went to, well, the first doctor I went to, he asked me if I needed an AIDS test, he made like, he was, because he, he, what do you do as a musician, you know, he said, what do you do for a living as yeah. a musician, he said, oh, maybe you need an AIDS test, you know. Presumptuous. I was like, I've got a steady girlfriend, and yeah. I've seen, I was with that uh, Swedish girl I've been with for five years, you know. Yeah, but who knows now? If you had a blood transfusion back then, you might have got it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was weird. I mean, he didn't refer me, so I changed doctor, you know. And I, I ended up with a really good doctor, and he saved my life, really, because if I hadn't, if I'd done nothing about that, I'd have got really poorly, you know. Yeah. Because I'd sort of, I wasn't feeling great, but I wasn't poorly. Yeah. And so he, he sent me for tests, because he said, oh, we'll just do it as a bell and braces thing, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that was, and then that was 2000, yeah. Um, you were in Didsbury then, weren't you? Falfield still. Oh, Fal- and then I moved to Didsbury. I moved yeah. to that house on Clyde Road. That yeah. guy, Graham That's Marsh. what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And they had a studio in the cellar. Yeah. And then I moved Then I moved over to Alexander Road South, um, Stanley Road. Oh. Lived there for a bit. And then you were up near Chorlton High. And, I went, and then I moved to Chorlton. Yeah, I went, to, uh, I went out to Sale, actually. Uh, so no, I went to Chorlton, then I went to Sale, went to Marsland yeah. Road, and then I moved to Southern Bridge after that. I was when I moved to Yorkshire for a number of years, mm. which was God. It's like yeah, the yeah. timelines. You know, when you think about that, it all seems a bit like yesterday. But then again, when you mm. think about it, it's like you know, some time ago. Well, yeah, this this is what I was trying to wrap my brains because that you 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 asked me that question about when, when we first, and I can't remember when the first the first thing of how I ended up in this band yeah you know because he was already an established because it had gone from being a night to a band hadn't it it's yeah it became a band and at some point and which is yeah, must right. be before I was involved yeah because we, we were night and day for don't know how long that lasted maybe a year and then mm-hmm. Jan decided Jan needs to make weird. money <laughs> yeah, well, he, he he sacked it all off, didn't he? I went to live in Sweden in 95. Yeah. Um, when I was away in Sweden, my mum was really ill. Um, but there was people ringing me all the time. I used to have like, this payphone outside this room I was living in. And I was uh, Dave Baldwin. And when you're coming back, we've got gigs. And yeah. Clive wants you to come back and do the band. And 
And I was like, well, I'm staying here with my girlfriend at the time. And, but my mum was really ill, you know. So when I ran out of money, basically, I came back in the, it was like August, September, 95. Right. Yeah. And then uh, and she died in October. Um, and then after that, that was when I kind of got back into the, moved out of that, I moved to Oldham, actually. Living out in I lived lived in Breadbury and I lived in Oldham and then I then I moved to Falfield then mm. um, into that flat and that was I was there for five or so years and so in fact I had to move out when I was ill because they wouldn't let me come out of the hospital and go back in that flat because no. it had no cause it had no <laughs> central heating or yeah it was all damp and yeah. so they said you know we you know there was like a they had this kind of social housing issue you know they, they, I was going to have this transplant and they said we're not letting you go out. You can't. We can't let you out of hospital into that flat because you'll get ill yeah. within like five minutes. You know, because you, your immune yeah. system will be knackered. So I went to live in this, that house with Graham Marsh, and and um, but during that sort of time, it was kind of weird because there was sort of um, we'd done all that stuff. We did the session seventy two thing, mm. um, but that was I've been involved for a while before that you know that was 99 that was 99 yeah yeah and I started the long hair then on the video that was when Jimster that was when the Jimster album was out yeah because this is kind of thing there was Mikey Mikey got into Lamb and he was doing Lamb and then he got off the Texas tour yeah. and there used to be a jam session in the middle of Manchester I used to go over <coughs> I used to play in the house band sometimes and it was a very strange Aziz used to turn up yeah. and do his thing <laughs> with the teeth and everything, you know. Mm. It was great, but it was hilarious. Mm. And he used to come in like royalty, because he was really, you know. He's still is, is that like, post Stone Rose? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he used to come with his, I think he used to come with his wife, and yeah. everyone used to, everything, the, the, the crowd would part when he oh. came in, you know. And, uh, and it's all sorts of people came through there, but Mikey used to come along. Yeah, should, should we... It's still going. Oh, it's still going. Yeah, oh, I just turned it. I turned yeah. it on. Yeah, yeah right. ten minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll drop I'll drop in at some point. Well, it's kind of interesting with the lamb thing because like when they moved into Juicy House, which is the building we were in. They of, did. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and me and Paddy on on that first record or the second record, uh, the single. In, in that, you know, I remember shoving my vibraphone, which was on wheels, into the, into the rickety lift and going up into, going up to the, into the loft yeah, that's where right. they were. And I played vibraphone on one called Gold, I think. Okay. And Paddy played bass on one of, um, I'm not sure if it was that track or one of the other tracks or whatever. Okay. And, uh, you know, Paddy would start playing with 808 at that point playing bass with 808 yeah that's and, right uh, yeah, they, they, didn't I think well. Lam were really wanting Paddy to join them ah, and uh, okay. in a counter move I introduced them to John Thorne via Graham Clark right, Graham and Clark. that you know every time I bumped into John Thorne yeah, in, yeah. in the Al Faisal the curry place in town yeah. uh, a couple of weeks back when they were doing some music conferencing and uh, yeah, that's he, right. he always every time I see him he always thanks me for getting him that gig because yeah, that, right. that gig was the 
perfect for him. You perfect. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was like, you know, the, the perfect man for the job at that point in time, kind of thing. He wasn't, him and Andy were a real force to be reckoned with because they, yeah. they both enjoyed rec- recreational yeah. stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, my, and this jam session, Mikey came one week and he said, and he said, I've got, I've got something to tell you, it's a bit of a shush, and I've got this gig with Texas. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And that, they were number, she was number one at yeah, the time. Yeah, super pop star. Yeah, it was, and it was, and he said, I've got 18, I've got a tour, world tour or something. It was, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. And he said, I've got to leave Lamb. And Andy was, re- Andy Barlow was really upset. Andy Barlow. Well, I bet, yeah. He was yeah. really, really, because they, because yeah, he loved Mikey. Yeah, yeah. But in that band, because he could play those, because Andy's, like, you and Andy. He was kind of a drum and bass kind of. Trip hop, yeah, the drum, yeah. And, and the thing with Andy, like yourself, and the same with Mr. Scruff, there's this thing about the, the drum programming, the centre of it has a, an authenticity and an individuality which was which had real nurture and care about it. Yeah. And Andy was really, really and so Andy was really young, let's He was let's really young, young, yeah. He was yeah. like and he, he was, was super talented. 18, like, 19 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so the, the, the whole timeline of this thing was Jimster used to do this gig. There used to be this weird club up at the Royal Northern, up these weird stairs. And it used to only open one night a week on Saturday. Was it part of the Royal Northern? It was part of uh, the building that was opposite. Uh, and it was like right at the top, and it was like a, it was like an empty office. It was a very strange. Was it a, the bridge that crossed? There was a bridge that crossed. Crossed yeah, the yeah. Oxford Road. That's right. And it was yeah. in the bridge, wasn't it? It was sort of in the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah, it was it about, on the end of that. Felt like a weird space was, station or something. It was very strange. They used yeah. to kick you out as well. Yeah. These guys. It was a bit weird. But the, well, Jimster used to have a residency, and then when I I wasn't in Jimster, Roger and Sheen were doing it. And Jamie was doing um, kind of what you were doing, but he was doing it exclusively. It was all program drums, yeah. And it was Jamie's baby, you know, and it really was. And then we were playing a lot together, and then I was I was kind of I did some recording for their second EP. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. Anyway, and it was quite a groovy track, and it had a little sort of drum and bass kind of undertone, the little kind of ghosty snare thing. Mm. And Jamie was, and he, and it was a, it was a thing where I recorded loads of stuff in his flat, and he cut it up and he made it into a thing. But he, he said, oh, "I'm using some quite, I'm using sixteen bar loops and eight bars. I'm not just using one bar, you know." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, great, that's good. I've made it more than a bar, you yeah, know." Because yeah. <laughs> when I was playing it, I was thinking, "He's just going to use a." He's yeah. gonna find a bar he likes and yeah. that'll be it, you yeah. know. And he did a thing where he left he left two bars without anything. He said, I want you to get sampled. It was a thing, you right. know. It's, it's somebody'll sample it and they'll use it on something. Yeah. And I was like, Oh right, okay, I didn't know. And he said, oh, it's, a, it's a real thing that the, yeah. if the drums are kind of on It's like own. an a cappella. Yeah, the, yeah. So there was anyway, so and then he asked me after that he asked me to join <coughs> the, to do some live things. And we started doing this live thing in this club and John and Andy used to come. Yeah. Uh, and, and the first time I played live, I had those Remo practice pad kit, the weird kit with the rack yeah. and I had the loop thing. <coughs> and, uh, and I was playing well at the time. I was in a good space with my playing. I felt like I was, felt quite strong and I, was, and I was doing something nobody else was doing yeah. a little bit. 
and I, I could play those drum and bass things, the fast things, like the 170 BPM stuff, and I was I could play like I was copying those loops and making them making them sound live and slightly quirky and a bit of a swing to them and yeah. and Andy was really into it, you know, because he was programming drums like you were yeah. and Jamie was. These people they had this kind of real ear for the drum thing. There was a specific yeah. sound and anyway, Mikey. Uh, John got me in to do some recording uh, that's uh, you know to, with with Andy and and it was a really weird vibe I was not in a very good headspace mm. at all we did this recording and did I did two and a half days and uh, the first day all of it got lost his hard drive broke and he and, and like everything he tried to yeah, he paid this company to try and get it back and they never got any of it back and no. and then the second day was a load of things and it was just not really working it just wasn't there was something not working in the way i was playing and what he wanted and then we did the on on the the end of the session we did this thing with john uh he did a cover of the night is a thousand eyes you know which became a single wow. and that's the only thing that i recorded with andy that made it what landing the night as a thousand yeah, yeah, i've still got it on cd what? yeah it's like a really crazy it's me and john thorne and he goes yeah. mad in the middle it's kind of yeah. swingy crazy jazz thing and uh, that was the only thing that made it onto any of the records right. because then he got mikey in right. and mikey nailed it all you know because yeah. like, he's got that thing he just had that vibe and anyway uh that all kind of happened but uh, Andy was still kind of cool with me and then Mikey got the text thing and Mikey said to me I want you to do lamb you know mm. and on when we, he was talking to you I get it. and I said Andy no nah, it's not going to happen Andy we did that recording and he yeah. was and he said no man he's going to give you the call you know yeah. and I was like and John was hinting that that was going to happen yeah. you know and I was like I don't. I don't see it. You know, yeah. it never happened cause yeah, yeah, because you know, you you're part of the conversation, aren't you? You know, yeah, exactly. he might not see you. Yeah, yeah and there's all yeah. on the other side of it. I mean, and at the time, if I'd have, if I'd have been offered that gig, uh, it would have been a huge mistake for me yeah. because of those two and yeah. the way they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would not have been able to cope, like emotionally, on the road with yeah. that thing. You know. But they got that Danish guy who was brilliant. I can't remember his name. Right. He was perfect for that gig and yeah. uh, managed to do. And Lou was obviously she was great as well. And that was I don't I never really met Lou really, you know. Yeah, because um, uh, before I mean before all that she did a track on the eight oh eight album Don Solaris and that was uh, I think we must have recorded it in ninety five. Ninety five. Oh, yeah. she must have been young then as well then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, right, okay. yeah, so that yeah. sort of predated that, and that's probably how they ended up in Juicy House and all that kind of yeah. thing. You know, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. <coughs> and what was the when? What was the Bjork kind of period then? When, uh, when uh, well, yeah, around about that time, that time, I was in Bjork world quite yeah. a lot. You yeah. know, did you were you going over there? Were you in? Ice? We first we we first did. Uh, some tracks for our album XL, which would have been uh, when's that? Ninety one. Uh, 
So we started the the journey quite early, you know. Yeah, yeah. She she was thinking of going doing a solo thing. She was still in um, what was it called that band? Sugar Cube. Sugar Cube's a brilliant. Yeah, band. and they had some yeah, yeah. contract. Con, they had to do one more album contractually. Yeah, kind of thing. yeah. yeah. Um, and they came did a music conference in Manchester, didn't they? Like a like a they had a big massive music conference, didn't they? like a kind of a, in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, like right. a, it was like a yeah. um, what's it? NA&R thing, wasn't it? Right. Like in Tony Wilson, yeah, and, yeah, and they were amazing. Like I remember right. seeing them. It's the Academy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we went out that night. Uh, yeah, we went right. to that, and me and Mark Bell from LFO uh, okay. went out after that gig with her, kind of thing. And like Mark, Mark from LFO, he uh, ended up doing loads of stuff with her on that homogenic album and various right. tours and things like that. Yeah, and Mark yeah. was a quiet character, you know, he was a, he was a, he, he wasn't Mr. Outgoing or anything, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he ended up being in Bjorkworld a, a long time <laughs> as well. Right. But, um, so, Anyway, so we yeah. did that. We did these tracks. We we actually she phoned us up. We were in Revolution Studio in Manchester doing this album XL, eight to eight state. And then she she was like, "Oh, there's somebody from Iceland on the phone." And I was like, "Somebody from Iceland? I bet it's Bjork." And it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah, the only yeah. person I knew who was Icelandic. You know, yeah. I didn't know her. You know, it's just sort of like, oh. Yeah, the only sort of the thing yeah. that popped into me and it's like, I wonder if it's Bjork and it was. And it said like, I've been listening to your records. This is pre yeah. pre heard going solo. Yeah, yeah. So she was yeah. looking for somebody uh, to get involved with uh, the electronic music side, you know, drum program. <coughs> And uh, so we arranged to meet. Uh, we were going down to London to do that TV program, The Word. The Word. Isn't yeah, it? we were on The Word. Yeah, yeah. I think we were on there with MC Tunes. Uh, yeah, yeah. LL Cool J was on, and Tunes was like that was his hero, and it was like what? Well, everything was a bit crazy, but yeah, Bjork was there to meet us, and she had this ghetto blaster, and she played this tape. I've still got this tape, and it's like some of the tracks, like Anchor Song and Violently Happy played on a trombone, a trumpet, and a sa- and an alto sax. No vocals on it. What? Just the tunes. You know, in a sort of, <laughs> in like a sort of wind quartet or something. And, we, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you couldn't really wrap your head around it, you know. No. Uh, but <laughs> the following day, like, my, my girlfriend at the time was... Uh, uh, she wrote for Enemy and um, oh, The right. Face, Man yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, she got this, I'd blagged on to her mission to go and interview Delight in Rome, which was a very glamorous weekend. And uh, from the airport, I rang up and said, uh, do you want to come up to Manchester on Wednesday kind of thing? You know, she was just about to leave to go back to Iceland. And we'll try some it out. And she 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 cancelled the ticket and she came up to Manchester on on, on the Wednesday. Okay. And uh, um, it all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So we did two tracks in two days, uh, from scratch. Two tracks in two yeah, days. Yeah. And that are on that album. And then from that, um, she started to come over. Um, 
and stayed at my, my old house in Cholton kind the of old, thing. The old house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I remember that house, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it should have a blue plaque on that, the amount of a yeah, yeah, weird guest we had guessed that stayed at that house. used to live here, because yeah. you moved here yeah. in 2002, was it, or something? Yeah, 2000, yeah, whenever the Twin Towers or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But um, yeah. So she started come over, and you know, she we, she was um, we started working on things in back to this guy Phil Kirby. Phil Kirby, yeah. Phil Kirby was the uh, <coughs> drummer in the Manchester band Yargo, and he yeah. was in Biting Tongues with us. That's right, yeah. And uh, he got into studio gear early on and he, he set up a studio in his... drums, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he, he was into <laughs> the, the tech, you know, and yeah. he was really... He, he, got, was, he was ahead of his time. <coughs> he was certainly, you know, the D-drum thing. He, <coughs> he got into C-Lab uh, creator, you know, yeah, yeah. which I couldn't get my head around. So whenever he was working no. on that, I was uh, a bit lost on that. Yeah, yeah. And he had Elisis drum sheets. And, and me, like, because of, we were both sharing the technology enthusiasm, yeah. uh, there's slight versions of The Only Rhyme That Bites with MC Tunes where yeah. uh, he, he, we'd done it under his uh, money. You know, we'd done a thing. Okay. Uh, so we were doing stuff in studios with rappers all the time. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was, you know, he he was really interested in rap and doing stuff. And uh, yeah. Anyway, he had this studio in his house at the time, which is a little terrace house near Main Road, the Manchester City's ground at the time. Yeah. All these terrace houses yeah, around yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one after, yeah, yeah. So what? One of these times, Bjork came over and we did um, two tracks in two days again uh, in Phil's terraced house and one of them's Army of Me and the other one's Modern Things and this would be in 92 I think 92 and they were shelved from the first album so they weren't um, they they didn't get on the first album but they appeared on the second album uh, post no it's because like uh, you know originally she started, she moved to London uh, in that time. That's right. And yeah, yeah. Um, uh, doing some stuff with uh, Nellie Hooper got involved, who uh, produced Massive Attack and Sinead O'Connor and all these. You know, he was like an Uber producer at the time. But like, Nellie was like his phone book. He, you know, he was like yeah. London personified. You know, he, he just was like Mr. Nightlife. He knew everybody. He could plug into the whole London thing and it yeah, was like yeah. it was really buzzy at that point as well because wow. we, we used to go down there a lot at that point you know used to well once Bjork got a, um, a flat and uh, you know we just used to be there all the time kind of thing backwards and forwards and going wow. going out into the nightlife and yeah yeah uh, wow. like I remember at one point where she took us to uh a metalheads night at the YMCA in Tottenham Court Road, and uh, late, you know, it, it's it's probably when she was interested in Goldie because they 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 had a relationship yeah, yeah. for a while, or whatever, you know. Yeah. And um, I remember that being a night where it's like music has changed, kind of thing. You know, it felt like a page turning over. It's like I'd never heard anything like it, and I right. didn't know how to sort of cope with it. You know, what I mean, it said like. 
everything's different now kind yeah. of thing for one night you know what I yeah, mean yeah 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 that it's, would be about 95 96 as well right, no right. no 95 or even earlier 94 maybe and uh, yeah you were always I mean she was all plugged into everything you know what I mean in, in London and you know all mad parties and yeah um, just the movers and shakers kind of thing yeah, she's yeah. I mean she's just that that girl you know yeah. she's kind of like charismatic thing energy yeah there, and just yeah. really easy with people you know what I mean well let me think some people yeah and then like incredibly probably really rude with loads of other people I don't know you know what I mean yeah, yeah, she, she yeah. knew what she's in charge of her life you know in charge I mean? of her life and she had you know a kid yeah. at, you know she was like a single parent at this point as well That's you know right, and yeah. bringing a young kid up in London and yeah. dealing with all that and like just really inspirational kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. and anyway we clicked along with music and stuff all the time you know sending each other tapes or she'd like you know yeah, I remember yeah. she'd, she'd like ring up and there's a new Arvo part or whatever here it is on the phone you know in the middle yeah. of the night yeah. kind of thing I mean, like 45 <laughs> minutes later it's like it's still going yeah. it's, it's like falling asleep uh, you know everything was music everything yeah. was music you know yeah, and music was just like being thrown at each other all the time it's like this and this and you know Brilliant. And uh, so it was easy to get involved. With that. One of the first sessions for debut, we went down, and uh, I think it was before she had the flat in London, and um, they, we always used to stay in the, the Gore Hotel in, near Ken, in Kensington, near the Royal Albert Hall. It was like this really vibey little wooden panel hotel. Stayed once, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Rolling Stones used to Rock and Roll Hotel. Yeah, yeah the Rolling yeah. Stones used to have parties that and right. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, I uh, one night on a little tour I was doing. Yeah. She, she, she might have had the flat then, but uh, anyway, we, we were put in there because uh, they were doing this session. She flew Oliver Lake over. Do you know who he is? He is like, Lake. he was part of a world saxophone quartet that had David Murray in it and Hamiel Blewett and it was this amazing saxophone quartet from New York from New York yeah. and, and I had loads of their records you know and, and it's like yeah I've got to get some saxophones in but it's Oliver Lake's done the arrangement and it's like wow <laughs> you know it's like yeah, don't yeah. mess about yeah. you know so he was in the hotel or whatever and we had breakfast and everything and we went to this session but he wouldn't play a note until the money had arrived in an envelope you know right a uh, uh, New York thing, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. he put uh, a quartet together with some London players, and he'd done the arrangement. But when you hear it, it's dead like, oh yeah, that's his sound. That's, that's his. That. That's his thing. You yeah, know, yeah, the way he's yeah. put it together, and that's on um, anchor song and uh, another um, aeroplane. And so I was at the, those sessions, you know, and. I'd, Program some drums for that, but that 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 kind of got left out later because Nelly Hooper kind of took over the project as it was going on, kind yeah, of thing. Sure. And I was like, really, I think we were in an American tour or something with Eight Oh Eight and stuff. You know, it didn't, it didn't, the timing didn't fit unless I yeah. left. 
<laughs> yeah, unless you left your own. Yeah, your own sometimes I wonder home. whether I should have left <laughs> <laughs> at that point. I don't know, you know what I mean? It's kind of like these opportunities sail past in the night and you're they not do. aware of it at, at, at the time, you know, it's kind yeah. of like everything's, you're just trying to balance your life in all kinds of directions and all kinds of other stuff's going on in your life, yeah, isn't it? You sure, know, music, yeah. music should occupy. 100% of your life but often yeah. uh, you've got a function you've, you've you got a function and, and survive and, and yeah but I, I look back on it and it was a, an amazing um, conversational thing yeah and such a special artist you know <laughs> and I, I, did, I only feel really privileged to have been kind of involved at all you know I mean I remember her manager playing me uh, the first um, mixed tracks of homogenic and he had like an amazing car, car system you know like proper and we yeah. sat in his car and he and he put that album on yeah, you know it's yeah. the first like he just got hold of it yeah. and it was like goosebump city you know it's like whoa you know it's like car, this is unbelievable you know yeah. and you know magic stuff like that you know yeah. Uh, and then all that, the whole world went crazy uh, with the the acid bomb thing and the Thailand airport thing and, and it was like oh, and, and everything and then she yeah. sort of ended up in Spain for ages and stuff you know Yeah. yeah but yeah. I went out to that studio in Spain uh, it was owned by her, drum, her drummer at the time was this guy called Trevor Marias oh yeah right, he was in the Peddlers and once you start talking to people about peddlers, it was like the sixties band that played in London clubs, yeah. and it was a bit Ray Charles yeah. organ. It was like organs, drums, and bass, and they were quite big. There's clips on YouTube of them playing in Las Vegas or on British TV programs, and they were flash. You know, like the drummer was like he always got they always gave the drummer some, you know. Yeah. And amazing drummer. He was in he, he came up through the Liverpool scene and the beat the beat boom and all that. Oh, well he okay. used to live in Wally Range at one point. Oh, I and I think he was in the Blue Flames or something, or he certainly played with alongside the Blue Flames or something. Because when you go to his place in Spain, it's got all these memorabilia and posters and all this kind of thing. What sort of age? What age? He was older. The, yeah. yeah. He was, uh, I used to think he was ancient, but he was probably only about 50 or something at the time. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. But he played, not only did he play in Bjork's thing, he played in Left, left Field for a while. No, Underworld. Or Left Field. No, Underworld. Um, he, he got involved with them. Right. Gold, Goldie had sampled him for some of his, his stuff and oh, got him right. to play on some of his stuff. And he used to be in Howard Jones's group. Oh, yeah. You'll see him on top of the Pops playing Simmons Kids. Like the Simmons Kids. Yeah, yeah and all yeah, that, yeah. yeah. yeah but he used yeah. to run studios in London and he, he tells this brilliant oh, story right. of uh, so when, uh, you know, he used to get all the session calls and it's like, it got a bit like, you know, pick up the phone in the middle of the night. It's like, oh, there's a session tomorrow. It's like, somebody's written some musical about Jesus or something, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's like oh, oh, no, get thing it, do it, or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? It turns out to be Jesus Christ superstar. Oh, <laughs> it it was, just, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He yeah. just swerved it in the middle of the night. Yeah, and yeah. Said, like, imagine the residuals <laughs> on that. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, he was he had this brilliant studio there. There's like pictures of Max 
Mark's Roach in there and like he'd been over and doing this little he was like he was like a drum professor you know what I mean right. you could talk to him drums to him for yeah, like you know forever yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was a vibe that guy right right you know and he, yeah. he did uh, a big chunk of the Bjork tours you know did he? Yeah, right, right. did po- the the post tour and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, she ended up sort of doing homogenic at his studio. Yeah, There's that South yeah. Bank show on YouTube about Bjork, and you, you can see it all. That's that, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she got like Diodato over to do the strings, didn't she? You know. And again, like, you know, I was talking about Diodato earlier, you know, yeah. about how we sort of grew up on uh, some of those records. Yeah. But uh, one of the musicians we bonded over, me and Bjork, was Milton Nascimento. Yeah. Because like, he made these, some of those early records of his, and it's, the strings are really unusual on it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, it's, it's, what's, what's with these strings? And later on, we got, got to sort of ask about it, you yeah. know. And it's because like there was some sort of union strike or something, and the violins didn't turn up. So there's like there's violas and cellos, mainly violas and, and, and cellos. no high, in no it. high, yeah, yeah. It's uh, all warm and uh, yeah, and it's different. kind of crayon and wax yeah. crayony kind of yeah, vibe yeah, to it. And it's yeah, then like yeah. uh, such a great record. The uh, um, yeah, yeah. anyway, so yeah, so when she had the opportunity to go like strings or whatever, yeah. Uh, I mean, she's pretty music college, you know what I mean? And so connected to all the... Got that, get that, I don't yeah. know, but I get that impression. This, 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 yeah, I mean, this in Iceland, yeah. it's, it's tight and, you yeah. know, uh, all the musician people yeah. are really uh, some proper n- nerdy yeah, kind of yeah. intensity yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm teaching a lad at the moment in Leeds. Uh, he's Icelandic. Yeah. He's very interesting. He's very good. Very school. He's he's practices. Yeah. He's in a he's in like a rock, a rocky indie band. Really great singer with his brother and yeah. really really great. They got records out and he likes playing free jazz, playing right. proper free. Yeah. And he's really good at it. He's just got this vibe and he's and they just got this mellowness about them. This kind of like something about the the kind of the the, the social the feeling the, 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 yeah the kind of study uh, that study well you know what I mean yeah. it's like like I've, I've got friends in Iceland their kids are growing up through the music system there and it's yeah. like it's not like it's it's a tragedy here isn't it you know the the way it's gone you know really, the way really. they've cut, cut cut it back but over there it's like taken really seriously nurtured and. I know. And uh, so when it, somebody's like, oh, I'm going to do strings. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, know, you get Diodato flown in. You know what I mean? But I've got another Diodato story, which is like when we first went with 808 to do like early gigs in New York, yeah. we used to play, the, we played a New Year's Eve gig at this place called The Limelight. And uh, okay. yeah, it was like some crazy New Year's Eve party and yeah. uh, we yeah. were on. Uh, somebody's got some photographs of us and Lee Bowery was there. I don't know if you know Lee Bowery, who just sort of used to dress up in all this outrageous gear and that. Yeah. It was like, you know, that kind of vibe, really crazy kind yeah. of New yeah. York, New York going bonkers. Yeah. And there's this the guy I spotted at the front, there's this little guy at the front going absolutely nuts uh, while we were playing kind of thing, you know, really kind of giving yeah. it loads of giving it moves large. and things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> 
it, it turns out he was there because we had the, shared the same manager. It was Diodato, like at this <laughs> rave at the front. And, I, and we got introduced because we had this, this uh, New York manager guy and he managed him and we, we, oh, we were introduced and I was like, my head just went yeah. pop, you know. Yeah, and the yeah, following yeah. day he invited us to his studio and uh, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was like this sort of beige, tangerine 70s studio with the Fender Roads and yeah. the Hammonds and yeah. it was so New York 1970s studio and uh, I've still got this tape he gave us, he was trying to do a project at the time, you know. Well, he'd actually sort of, he was like into the, doing the stock exchange and all this at that point. He'd, he'd kind of done so much music that he was, he wasn't particularly yeah. in a musical yeah, yeah, place yeah. at that time. Well, but, uh, Trying to make his money work for him. I, I know, but blood. yeah, but this is, this is way before Bjork brought him in. So like when... Right, okay. And eventually we ended up doing some gig in uh, 808, ended up doing this gig in... Brazil. It was called the Free Jazz Festival, but right. because there was a brand of cigarettes called Free, it wasn't blah, 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 Free Jazz Festival. You know, sponsored by yeah. Ah, right. And uh, okay. our night was Bjork, and we were supporting it. Uh, Eight to eight, we were supporting it, kind of thing. And right. she got Diodato in to do these two gigs, oh. so I got to uh, meet him again, oh, kind of thing. Right. And. Uh, wow. And at that gig, you know, it was a crazy gig. We we met uh, Pablo, our sound engineer, uh, recognised this guy in the foyer of the hotel, and it's Isaac Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd done wow. some gig in Bellevue years ago or something. Yeah, that's and right. He was yeah. like, oh, you don't remember me, but, you know. And he was lovely. He, we all yeah. had a, a yeah, bit yeah. of a selfie with him. And then I'm getting in the lift, and who's in the lift, right? right. Jack DeJanette. John Schofield, no. uh, Michael Brecker, yeah, you know, it's just sort of like all like a, a, a whole fucking posse of my heroes yeah. in this lift, yeah, yeah, yeah. doing a Herbie Hancock gig at, at, on the same festival. Okay, you know, and, and I'm just in there, sort of like you know, yeah, quaking in the corner, yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, that was the thing I always thought we connected with because when all the things you were sampling and the drummers we were talking about, there was a very few people that I was talking to really. They weren't really into Jack, that sound, yeah. you know, because the younger drummers were into, they're either into funk things yeah. or the fusion, the Chick career thing, the yeah. Dave Weckley, the shoe shine thing, I call it, you know. Okay. It's great, but yeah. it's not my, not for not me. Your you thing, know? yeah. And, uh, and the, the Jack thing, the Paul Motian thing, and, and those kind of players, you know, young, the young Christians, all the Jarrett. People yeah, really. E- was ECME. The ECME. Gang. That, that guy, Michael, Mikael de Pasqua, you know, that guy who played with Eberhard Weber, you know, that guy. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know him. No. He, um, there's an album called Later That Evening. Right. Uh, it's beautiful. Right. You'd love that album. It's uh, Frizzell, right. Lyle Mays, oh. Eberhard Weber, this guy, right. Michael de Pasqua. Weirdly, back in the 70s when we were teenagers, like I was saying about Colin's dad, he got yeah. us some tickets to Eberhard Weber and it was at this place called KLM Hall, which I, I didn't know about. It's on Deansgate. I think it's the moon underwater, the pub. KLM Hall? Yeah, Never anyway, it was this sort of fancy, sort of like, you know, look like a church or something. Yeah, yeah. Hidden, you know, the doorway was like a narrow doorway and then you emerged into this sort of yeah, church, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, he had John Marshall. John Marshall. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I knew John Marshall from that album there, that uh, Nucleus Elastic Rock. Right. Which is one of my teenage O level albums, you know, yeah. of like, you know, you play me that and I'm back in some sort of weird hormonal yeah. reverie. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, uh, every corner of the music. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's yeah. a really meaningful record to me. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he died this year, didn't he? Kind he of, did, yeah. yeah, yeah, very sad. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but did you see, because one of the, one of the another one of these connecting memories from when I was um, how old was I six seventeen I went to see Jack with John Sermon. Wow. The, the this album's called Simon Simon ECM duo album. Right. And it was at the Royal Northern. Yeah. And it was just them two, and Jack was playing quite a lot of piano. Yeah. But they had these sequences running these loop arpeggio loop things. Wow. And Sermon was blowing them, Jack yeah. was playing these grooves that were in no time signature, just yeah. time. Yeah, you know? I, I think I've got a John Sermon album with Stu somebody. Uh, and it's like a drummer and a sax thing with synths. With synths, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like a, a, you know, early 70s Woodstocky kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was the thing, I watched, I watched that gig and I was, I was into Jarrett very into Jarrett and into, mm. the tr- into their trio you know the, with Gary and, and yeah. Jack and, and into the European and as into the American with Paul Motion and Drew Redman and oh, Charlie yeah. Hayden I was really into all that and I was watching this gig and they had all these electronics and I was just sat there going how the how, Sacrilege. How, how, do I, how, do, no, how do I do this oh you're into it oh I was like yeah. I, this is what I want to do I, right. I want to have a sequencer of these amazing all this kind of but I don't know if it was like a, an arpeggiator that was ra- I don't know it, it, yeah. I don't know if it was compositional I don't know I was completely completely bamboozled yeah. and John Sermon he was just like Meg blowing and he played a bit of Barry but he played mostly soprano yeah. and uh, and then there was this thing when I first uh, with the toolshed night thing when it was you and Graham had this same feeling oh, right, watching okay. that yeah. because you had this computer with these loops and yeah. and you were playing all these instruments and and then Graham was playing guitar and he was playing violin and had his, he had these delay pedal things and yeah. the violin was doing all this and I was like fucking hell this is some I've not heard this for five years because I'd spent that you know after yeah. that I'd gone to music college and it was all a bit shit and then I'd come home and it was all a bit depressing and there was nothing happening and never thought that Manchester would be a place where, where that happened where, well, connect well one thing like me, me and Alan from yeah. Crispy Ambulance so yeah. like, uh, we, we spent a lot of time on the dole together when we were like you know in the late 70s early 80s kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. and uh, at Longside Market which was kind of near the dole office so when you got your gyro or whatever yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd, um, <laughs> gyro day gyro Mar- day yeah. Longside Market, yeah. which is like an open air market, sold kind of like uh, haberdashery and all that all kind of thing. Sorts they, of stuff, but yeah. they had yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a record store there, and oh, right. there was a they had a ton of ECM at like fifty p, you know. And we used to go and like we might spend two pound fifty of our doll check on ECM. Yeah. So between us, we never got the same one. You get like ten LPs or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but we made, we were careful to get different ones so we could yeah, we, share we had a joint yeah. kind of uh, yeah, yeah. library of ECM. And it was so influential on our music thinking and making. Yeah, yeah. But one of the biggies was that 
Jarrett American Quarter Survivor's Suite. Survivor's Suite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that was it's such a deeply emotional record. And I, I remember like Graham Clark always used to come round to my flat, kind of thing, or or or, or round at Allen's or whatever. Every time you put Survivor's Suite on, he cried in a particular place. <laughs> Uh, yeah. it hit this 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 section of the music yeah, and he yeah. burst into tears yeah. and I bet you'd, if we did it now he'd do, do the same feeling. you know what I mean yeah, he, yeah. He, you could set, set your watch by it yeah. you know what I mean but uh, yeah it's a very powerful record that, that the, he plays all those recorders at the beginning him and Dewey and then they do that soprano and tenor duet I, I love his soprano sound you know well he does yeah. doesn't he he yeah, says yeah. nobody sounds like me yeah yeah you know? but to me that is a thing that, that is a that, thing because like yeah. I play soprano and nobody yeah, sa- yeah I'm, nobody sounds like me either, but, right. but yeah, yeah. I don't profess to be a soprano player but there's something in his playing where he's he's not a full time saxophone player that I identify with it's kind of got this open Tone, yeah, kind of thing. you you have that thing, and the thing I talked with Ben Walker about. If you know Ben, the the, the multi instrumentalist guy from uh, sort of Darwin way and stuff, but we, I mm. made an album with him recently. He's he's, he's singing mostly now, and, and yeah. he plays a lot of traditional folk music on, on flutes and pipes and, and and whistles. Yeah, but the thing that Ben has when he plays soprano is he's got that Wayne. Thing, oh, right. is, well, yeah, that, know, that's me, man. I know, I know. Yeah. And this is and the I'm thing, I'm just a Wayne fanatic, and it's, and it's Wayne that, short. It's yeah. that thing that, that kind of that all, that lineage or that it's feeling a vocal, of that. It's something like about a vo- it, vocal is, tone to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that was, and, and when you used to play yeah, this, yeah. when we used to do those things, you'd be playing guitar, then you'd pick the sax up, and then you'd be doing the keyboards, and just all these. And I felt like I was in the middle of all of that, like I was in the middle of Frizzell and Jarrett yeah. and Charlie Hayden and all that kind of music. Well, that's the same, there's, there's that Jarrett album Spirits, you know, Spirits, yeah. where he's just sort of like, you know, you know, he's just in a room with a bunch of stuff and it'd be a tabla or a recorder or a yeah, flute yeah. or whatever. You know, that that stuff was, uh, you know, it was just sort of, oh, you just make music like, you know, colouring box kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Obviously, he's like... <laughs> On another level, yeah, kind of thing, but, yeah, but very, my kind of amateur version of that kind of well, uh, yeah, spirit, so, yeah. you know, that yeah, kind of you, you, exactly. you jump in and yeah. you try and do something yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, with yeah. The, the, the whatever ability you've got, kind of thing. Um, those records were inspirational. I've got like some leaflets somewhere. We did a thing at the band on the wall. We were on a record label in Manchester called New Hormones Records when we were biting tongues. They did the Buzzcock Spiral Scratch, which is one of the most legendary records on earth because it, it launched the DIY punk thing, uh, the Buzzcocks. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they, uh, so we were with them in the late 70s. And, uh, what was that label then? Did it... it was pretty short-lived, but they did some weird and interesting things, being arguably as interesting as factory records, you know, as important, you know. Because they they ran this club in Manchester called the Beach Club, which was a once a month thing, and they put like art house films on before we had art house cinema in Manchester. Uh, you know where you could see Eraserhead or yeah, Pink Flamingos yeah. and yeah, yeah. Uh, Towers Open Fire, William yeah. Burroughs films. Yeah. And it's the grandmother as well, isn't it? But the they put it on. One. They, they put it on in this sleazy little. <laughs> Club, yeah, and it was yeah. run by uh, there's this legendary um, 
drag artist in Manchester called Fufu Lamar. That's right, yeah. And he ran this sort of head night um, club. Around the back of um, Piccadilly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he drove around in a Rolls Royce with Fu right. one on it. That's right. And, uh, you know, Manchester <laughs> United, all, that, you know, all yeah. the football players used to go to Foo Foo's yeah. and all the Coronation Street stars. Coronation and, Street, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he had a little extension to his club called The Ranch. It was like a, like a, a, a back room. And that was a very important punk club. Like all the early punk gigs were in the ranch. Right. Very important. But in this other, the, the club he left to go to his Fufu's Palace. Fufu's Palace, yeah, yeah. Uh, was this place called Uzitz. And it was in Shude Hill. And it was like a, oh, it had like, you know, it's a rickety old place with a yeah. New York fire escape. Right. And right. glittery curtains. And, you know, they, they made, they had to cook food in there to, something to do with the license so it always smelled of like you know yeah. curry or something yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but uh, it, it was the best club on earth for, for us doing music and we played there a lot uh, this was when this is like 79, 80 79 right and oh. New Order did their first gig there you know wow. after, after Ian had died um, oh, wow. they launched themselves there and apparently you 2 had turned up to play or something and they were sent away or something. <laughs> <laughs> what? They turned up from Ireland or something to do the beach club. And uh, yeah, they were sort of, some of had been double booked and they were sent away. That's part of the beach club legend kind of thing. <laughs> wow. Um, but it was just, a, yeah, this was a very, I think it's, in, in my world, it's as important as. Uh, the hacienda, you know what I mean? It was yeah, like the hacienda yeah. of its time. It was the, the social mix and the yeah. and the experimental avant-garde thing of it. Yeah. Where we yeah, were showing, yeah. projecting films over us and, you know, and, you know, it had that... Which is what people are doing now, aren't they? I mean, the, well, we got it from the New York thing. The New thing York thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. felt like a New York vibe, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were often copying New York things, you know, so... <coughs> uh, anyway, that's yeah. how to get onto that. Um, uh, right, the Beach yeah. Club. But originally, Biting Tongues formed to, we were always audio visual because we formed as an mm. improvised soundtrack to a film called Biting Tongues that Howard had made. Yeah. And yeah. um, uh, we performed it twice at the Factory Club, which was the PSV in Hume. Uh, when when that was a thing, oh, okay. and that was late seventies, oh, and uh, it was like an art slab kind of vibe there, you know. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. we again, it was called the factory because of the Andy Warhol thing. So again, we're kind of aping American stuff to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but loads of great gigs at that club, the PSV, which was yeah. essentially a kind of union club for bus drivers or something, wasn't it? You know. It's like a West Indian club, really. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Well, you know, these little clubs that meant that were scruffy and small and maybe mm. 50 mm. people were explosions of stuff, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that um, might get lost in time. But, I mean, to us, making music were uh, incredibly exciting at the time, you know, the yeah, connections and yeah, the... Yeah. the, the sense of competition in Manchester with bands you know it was a friendly competition you know 
Yeah, it was it was an egg each other on in the camera. Yeah, like, wasn't it? it? Had that vibe about. There it. was like you. Yeah. It was a lifestyle thing, you know. You threw yourself a hundred percent into. Yeah. Doing the band thing, at least that's how it seemed to me at the time. You know what I mean? It was like you couldn't wait to rehearse, you know, and you might only rehearse like once a week or something because you weren't allowed yeah. to make noise you that's know? right yeah, yeah yeah noise tolerance was low and that's uh, right there was but, always that there was, there was always no that money in the background and there was not enough money in it all people had irritating jobs that got in the way and, that's know, right yeah yeah and and I, I, everyone I, worked in restaurants and all the musicians worked in the four or five restaurants they all worked in some, yeah that kind of that industry yeah yeah up. required no headspace didn't yeah. it it was like you could do it and not have to think about the job that yeah. you did because you we all to keep we all worked in that cafe in on in Levenjume on Stockport Road it was this uh, cafe run by this gay couple and it was a bit adventurous you know what I mean they were doing vegetarian food and no one did that no one did that then yeah. no, and no, um, no. We, we started that but me and Alan uh, did the opening night where we did our Frippanino act, which was kind of like Alan on synthesizer, he had an ARP Odyssey, and me on sort of ambient guitar. And we yeah. played for about two hours. I got a tape of it somewhere, you know, while people yeah. ate sort of like vegetarian pasties. God, it was bad enough doing it on the night. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there'd be like people who. It literally is like, I think, on repeat, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, we'd listen to too many Frippanino records and yeah, that's what, yeah. what, what, what we did. But it's we're just sort cool. of game for doing stuff back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. just, because like, we're so bored, you, you know. Yeah. Well, Anyone, we weren't bored. Any chance to, there's any chance to play. But we were in danger of being bored. Yeah, so we had all yeah. that time. And, you know, you got your housing benefit and you got your... That's right. Yeah, yeah. Dole. I became a postman at one point, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we just had time. And... Yeah, that's what my... Time and music time is... Yeah. That's all, that's what you need, don't you? It's yeah. Headspace. You need headspace, don't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. and this impetus to just... <clears throat> excite up the, your environment you know yeah 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 uh, inspired yeah. by um, whatever you could go and access you know yeah 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 so it's, yeah it's, it's like Manchester was always this it was on the circuit you know yeah stuff came through and yeah yeah and on, on all sorts of different levels because you know when I was growing my brother was I mean, it's funny my brother was much more musically uh, hip on the kind of popular side than I ever was. Yeah. My brother was into all of the Manchester thing. He had, he was into, the, you know, the Mondays and all that stuff. The Smiths yeah. and he was upset. And he had all the records and, and I was listening to, I was listening to Lazan Brame and Keith Jarrett solo concerts <laughs> in the dark in my bedroom <laughs> on cassette, you know, yeah. and they just thought I was a weirdo. Yeah. I used to have like, I remember buying Jarrett. I was telling the students this story last week about changes which was an album which came out in 85 which is two improvisations and a piece called prism and it's with the trio when they recorded the two standards one and two the original two albums that came out is that like gary peacock gary peacock and and jack Jack, yeah yeah. and in the same session they recorded these two pieces called flying part one and flying part two and then this piece called prism which is a jarrett composition which he recorded with the european quartet live in fact they played it on a tour in the 70s and that came out on an album called Personal Mountains. 
But when I used to get these, I used to buy these records when I was at school. I'd save a bit of money up and I'd go down to wherever. Or sometimes I'd have to order them. But I used to go HMV or Virgin or whatever, go into town yeah. and then go to Jarrett and look through the thing. Chapter Jeanette, Gary Peacock, Changes, and, um, and it was three tracks. And I'd take them home, my brother had the record player in his bedroom. I didn't have one, my mum and dad had so you have to queue up. Yeah, and when he was out, I'd go in his bedroom and I'd use his... And I'd think about now, I was in there a lot, and he used to let me go in there, actually. Mm. And he had all of his records, and he had the Smiths, he had Madonna, he was into all that stuff, Happy Mondays, everything. Mm. And he'd, he'd go, what's this? It's just like one side of the 33, a whole track, and whereas all of his were all the three and a half minute yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And he couldn't get his head around yeah. this music. He was like, what are you listening to? Yeah. And I was like, well, what are you listening to? You know, I was never really connected to that scene really right. in a way. And then when I kind of came back to live there and then I moved into Manchester and I sort of wand was wandering into all these weird situations, playing with people like yourself and people. Yeah. I didn't really know a lot about the history of it because I'd just been up my own ass listening to you know, jazz and what have you, not really listening yeah. to any of the kind of popular music of the city, you know. And that thing of, if you suddenly like realise kind of you're around all this lineage of people that are connected yeah. to that music, but all of this other music. And things like when I met Mike Joyce, you know. Oh. Mike, um, there was a very weird story. When I used to work at City College, I used to work at the uh, the campus up in um, She decided, was it? Oh, of North Manchester. Yeah, there was two. There was there was the Northern side, yeah. and then there was this guy. This guy called Jason Brown ran the B Tech up in um, past Presswich. Yeah, up that way on, yeah. on on the tram. Yeah. Um, can't remember the name of the stop. It's quite Abraham Moss. Is Abraham it? Moss. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that uh, that site. Yeah. And I got this phone call one day. Jason, he said, um, I've had this guy on the phone called Mike Joyce. You know. And I didn't know who he was right. because I didn't know anything about the Smiths. I'd never listened to the Smiths, yeah. you know, because I was just listening to Fusion and Keith Jarrett and yeah. Buddy Rich, you know, and all that stuff. There's, it's really confusing because I think I might have got that wrong earlier about Simply Red because it's Chris Joyce's Simply Red, Mike Joyce's The Smiths. Uh, yeah. No, you know you said no, you oh, didn't yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Mike, no, Chris. You Chris said, was in the Mothman, and Mike yeah. Joyce is Smith. Mike right? Joyce, the yeah. Smith, yeah, yeah, and and he said this guy's rabbit called Mike Joyce. He wants some drum lessons, and I was like, oh right, okay. He said, do you not know who he is? Right. Like, no, not really. No. And he's it's the, the the guy, the, the drummer in the Smiths, you know. Right. And I was like, oh right, wow. Anyway. I, I passed my number on and Mike rang me up and he was the nicest guy ever. You know? yeah, yeah. Hi Dave, how you doing? My name's Mike Joyce. And he was like talking to me like a... Yeah. And I was like, oh. And I got to know Mike Clark. I used to go to his house every week and, yeah. and he wanted to learn to read and he, he was fascinated about drumming, yeah. drumming in a different way. And I was like... And I suddenly I had a really lear a quick learning curve and I was like, why are you even... What you don't get? You're like you've done all this stuff. I mean, he, he, yeah. how he could play to a click was ridiculous because he'd done this when he used to play live. He used to play this thing in yeah, his yeah. ear, and he was like glued to it. I couldn't play to a click like him, you know. It's like what is what? I was like, what? He, no, no. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I just want to get into a different way of thinking about the drums, you know. Yeah. But I remember telling my brother. And he was like nearly crying, right? Yeah. Because to him it was like yeah, royalty, oh, one step from yeah. God, Morrissey, you yeah. know, etc., and all that stuff. And I was just like, it's just like a guy, you know, just, yeah. just I don't know, 
Oh, you know, well, I won't say Andy Rourke used to live around the corner here for, right. for a while. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, he, he was playing with uh, Badly Drawn Boy, who, who yeah, literally who lived, lived through that wall there. Yeah, yeah, when you moved here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> so he was around all, all, all the time, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and like that connection between the, the, the rhythm section in the Smiths is... If you if you took all the other stuff off it, it's still a weird, yeah. It's like unique imprint it's really of. Really heavy, yeah. yeah it's yeah. unusual. It's compositional. You know? Yeah. All of it, the, the the sculpting and the sound of it, the yeah. parts, the feel. Well, that's of that it. thing about Manchester bands, isn't it? It's yeah. always these hybrids of information flowing through people, and you yeah. get a different yeah, yeah. weird concoction out of everyone. I know, I know. And that's... I had this uh, guy I met through our internet site. He lived in Brazil. He lived in uh, Sao Paulo. And he, he was like... He had this epiphany at one point. It's like his favourite bands was the Smiths, New Order, 808 State kind okay. of thing. And he, was, it's like, he didn't realise that they were all from the same town. <laughs> 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 and when he did... He came, he, he, came he, he got on a plane yeah, yeah, and he yeah, came yeah. in. He used to have like this landlady in Old Trafford or something. And he, he, like, <laughs> he, he stayed as long as he could before his visa made him yeah. go back. And then he yeah, went, yeah. and then eventually he moved here again. Kind of and uh, his, uh, he, his brother came over as well. And right. uh, like, I got to know uh, his brother, who's a photographer. So he, he came and photographed um, this band I was doing called Sisters of Transistors, well, gonna, like our, our, our organ this. band. Well, you, you, and, uh, you, 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 he fell in love with one of our sisters, yes. kind of thing, and uh, now they're married with a kid and everything, hey. kind of thing. Yeah, now just oh, uh, it's like a lovely kind of what weird a great story. story. I didn't know anything but, about that. Yeah, it's just the idea of these <laughs> people in Brazil just sort of yeah. like, I like this band, I like that band, I like that band. And then it's almost like they're all from the same city, Manchester. but they're all madly different. You yeah, know madly what I mean? different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that uh, one of my, no, I mean, when I was going through some things today just to chat about, I mean, I felt like we're jumping way forward, really. Yeah. But there's the drum, because the drum thing with yourself, which was hilarious. I remember when you, oh, yeah. uh, like Jackson, your yeah. lad, and you were talking to me years right. and years about. Yeah. Buying a drum kit and getting yeah. into drums, weren't you? And stuff. Yeah. Well, I use I use my son to <laughs> get a drum kit to get a drum kit <laughs> to get a drum kit into the house. Which, but I'm going to be fair to you. At yeah. the time, you fessed up to that being yeah. completely the the ulterior motive. Yeah, yeah. And then Sisters of Transistors, you ended up playing drums. Yeah. So I needed then a project, <laughs> needed a project where some that, some idiots would let me play the drums, kind of thing. But, and you're, but, you're, but you're but the thing that the whole thing about your your ear for drums. So this is the thing that always. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a musical thing as well, but just as as an outsider yeah. and being drawn to these people and this sound because the Tusha yeah. thing was incredible. It was unique at that time. Like you say, just pre peak Tulsa. Yeah. When I when I saw you playing um, with uh, Sam, you know, doing that when you did the gig for us up in Leeds, yeah. for me, I thought that was peak Tulsa actually because right. because because you were wearing, because you'd gone for the costume thing as well. Yeah. You'd gone into that, you'd gone that stage further. Because Pete Turner, my mate, who does Henge, you yeah. know, and they all dress Sam, you know, Sam Draper. 
they all dress up. Yeah, and yeah. And it makes it, the music's great, the playing's great, but yeah. it's that thing of, oh, also. I did, I did, there's a record down there, I did a mix for Did Hench. you? Yeah, did so, you? I, yeah. I went to their night the other night, they do a thing called Space Cassette, and everyone dresses up at it. It's like yeah. a sort of, like, you know, some, like, 1920s ball or something, where everyone's <laughs> wearing... <laughs> Yeah, just imagine this. Thing. Yeah, it's like, and it's they're like, all there. It's like a Trekkie convention yeah, or something. That's, you know that, I mean? There you go. That's, that's yeah. the image I've got in my head. It's pretty. Yeah. It's a pretty it's psychedelic night out that, that usually goes on for it. Like yeah, it's a two-day event. You know, it's yeah. supposed to be like four hours, where it'll it'll linger on <laughs> in a paisley cloud. <laughs> yeah, they're they're quite quite a curious bunch. Yeah, yeah. But well, when I saw that gig. Because uh, obviously, I, you know, I haven't been, I haven't been involved in the band for a long time, and, yeah. and it, it sort of disbanded and then come back, haven't it? Is yeah, that, that, that was it. Yeah, that was a kind of. Uh, there's so many good. iterations of Toolship, and but that was a period with Sam Healy, who's this uh, amazing right. sax player. He went, yeah. he'd come through like loads of things, like the Guild School, Guild, is it the Guild School or whatever. It's, yeah, I think it was in Cheatham's and he did Guildhall. He did, he did, he did the lot. He did, did Cheatham's, yeah, Royal Northern. Was, um, um, yeah, he did his post-grad, I think, Guildhall or something or whatever. And he was in like some, you know, he, he like at one point he was in the same class as there, like he was always banging on to me about Jacob Collier. You know, it's like, you need to check this guy. He was, I was, he, yeah, he was at yeah, college yeah. with him and all yeah. this kind well, of thing. Well, Sam yeah. was at Cheatham's. When I, I used to teach at Cheatham's uh, for two years, in fact, you asked me a question yeah. ages ago about the Cheatham's jazz thing. Yeah. I was the first. Oh, right. Yeah. To had, introduce jazz we, into we that. We had a jazz quartet yeah. called Four Wheel Drive, which right. was not meant then by me, but ironically yeah. kind of played on my love of kind of cars, yeah. even though weirdly. And uh, we won this competition called Music for Youth in 85, uh, 6. Right, you must have been well young. Yeah, I was 15. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we were playing with this quartet. Double bass, piano, a guy called Stephen Gosling, phenomenal classical piano player. Like, he's a Juilliard accompanist now. Right. I mean, ridiculous. Wow. Johnny Webb was a clarinetist. He went on saxophone. Sadly, he's dead now, died yeah. of alcoholism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was the same age. We were born the same day. And Dominic Seldes, who plays for the Royal Welsh, he's a double bass, principal double bass for the Royal Welsh now. Wow. And that was the quartet. And Dominic couldn't really play jazz then, but he was the best bass player in the school. Right. Stephen was was into jazz. He got me into Jarrett. Uh, so his dad used to buy bootlegs. His dad was an architect. He used to travel to Asia and places in there yeah. on the bootleg market. He used to come back with these bootlegs for his son. It was all these yeah. Jarrett compilations from different albums, all these ECM albums that were all put yeah. onto a cassette called The Works, you know, because they had the Works series. Didn't right. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember? Yeah. But anyway, so... Uh, we had this jazz quartet and uh, and we were pretty good and we played some quite experimental music. We, well, we weren't playing jazz standards, we were playing like more contemporary stuff that was in old time signatures and, and yeah. it was heaven for me because I was trying to play Buddy Rich things to belong to the records. And I went to school and they found out I could play the drums. And so, I, and they, they're, they're, they're their jazz group was the three of them and I joined it was a bit like the gymster thing again it was like yeah. another thing added on you know and then we won this competition we went to London and it, I, I remember at the time I was again just floating through it all you know suddenly we won this competition then we were at the Royal Albert Hall playing wow. and we were doing all this stuff and at school I was always in trouble because I was a bit of a scally you know from yeah. sort of a working class background there were quite posh kids there and I was, yeah. I was making keys 
for people for doors and shit with advice, you know. <laughs> it is like Hogwarts it's, there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very strange environment. I was boarding, you know, yeah. and I was playing the drums all the time. Anyway, in the last year, I got in trouble again and the director of music he decided, get one last chance. Um, let's get you a drum teacher. So Dave Hassel, I was Dave oh, Hassel's oh, yeah. first teacher. Dave Hassel, legendary, legendary drum figure drum in Manchester. Figure in Manchester, yeah. yeah, drum educator. And yeah. So I was his first student at Cheatham's and after that it became standard thing that all mm. of them, and then when Dave retired, they gave me that job, you know. Wow. So Sam was there right. at that point. Oh, Sam Healy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and there was a like Sam. Sam is a force of nature, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, really talented. He's like really, uh, really talented. well, he's just un- almost uncontainably kind of so. You yeah, know, he's kind yeah, of like yeah, yeah. I-, I first spotted him on a YouTube thing, and he was uh, it was the Matt, Matt and Fred's thing, and he was just playing uh, some kind of oh, right. solo that was on some sort of like mental energy level uh, where where the band had dropped out and he was just sort of like sailing the cosmos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, who's this dude? Anyway, so uh, I didn't think in a million years he would want to play with people like us, you know. Me and Paddy, uh, I've come from this this different background, this punk band, you know, like a DIY thing. uh, You know, it's, it's come, it's a different school. You know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's not a schooled music thing. Uh, However, that's what he was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Because he done, he rinsed everything, and to bring his drummer in as well, uh, Craig. Craig, yeah, yeah. uh, Who was just sort of like you know he. He was like, you know, of the modern school, isn't he? Kind yeah. Of. There's, there's a, I mean, there's a thing, great. and you must notice it being in an educator in drums. Yes. That, uh, that there are certain uh, uh, things that they, they, they pick up now, you know, like the kind yeah. of like the things they must have in their toolkit for... That's right. Yeah. 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 And again, I think Craig probably liked the fact that this wasn't uh this was um, a little bit scruffy and coming from a different direction you know it, it again you you go through those things and you can only fit into certain yeah y things and, and that's one thing that we we were aware of and try not to fall into those when musicians get together things Oh, for, yeah, it was definitely, well, it never was. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it, yeah. It, Even the conversations were yeah. like that, you know, in the back of a van, it was just... Sometimes I want to like these things sometimes, and there's there's nights in Manchester where, you know, musicians get together and... Uh, and it it kind of pushes an audience away some sometimes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I know we're, we're probably quite capable of pushing an audience away, but on the other hand, there's, a, yeah. there's a, a, an awareness from doing a life in music, from doing the past the hat gigs and the yeah. massive raves in the middle of nowhere, just the broad spectrum of musical experiences where you actually need to know how to make people um, join. Yeah. You know, it's communion. Yeah. Communion is, is, the, is the word I'm looking for, you know, yeah, yeah, of uh, mm. 
meaningful communion through music. You know, it's it's like if I think it's the theme of what I want to do. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, when it happens, it it. You know, we were really kind of lucky on that rave thing. You know, as as the rave wave right. came in, like, yeah. I mean, we started in nineteen eighty seven ish. You know, when we first got together with eight oh eight, it was a guy called Gerald, me and Martin, kind of thing. A lot of the time, Martin lived in Bolton, kind of thing. He didn't make the gigs, you know, but he was the Spengali behind putting it all together, kind of thing, and right, okay. uh, you know, driving the idea, kind of thing. But quite often, me and Gerald would go off and do mad jams, right. and we we'd get on the National Express and go to some Aberdeen Art College or something and do, you know, just mad gigs where yeah. it, Acid House wasn't established, and we we built it up into a thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the time we hit 1990 or something, you know, and we had an album out on ZTT and it had been on the radio and, it had, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the temperature in the country was this thing, rave kind of thing. The best, the best documentary I've seen about it is, a, is one that's probably on YouTube called Everybody in the Place and it's made by Jeremy Della, you know, the... Right. The um, Turner Prize winning artist Jeremy Della, yeah. and uh, he made this brilliant documentary that that tells you the political story of rave kind of thing, yeah. and 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 the way the country came together. But when we did that first tour, uh, we were representing this almost like a. It wasn't about our record. It was about this revolution. About revolution. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, like a socio-political revolution that was kind of changing everything you know and the whole Manchester thing has now been polarised into this mm. these uh, little lumps of things you know of of like this is what Manchester the, the Manchester scene was about but it, 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 it was much broader than that and it was a worldwide thing yeah. so like when we went to uh, you know, Berlin and we went to America for the first time and stuff and it's like it, it was connecting up all over the place we went to Japan and yeah, yeah. it was happening everywhere and the the language was electronic music and the language wasn't marred by lyrics and you know we weren't yeah. telling stories that way it was like this I always say it's an Esperanto of electronic music that that came together at that point, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, and it it existed already. You know, it, it did. Like when you used to go to the hacienda, it was like you didn't just get acid house at the time. You got Latin music, loads of Latin music on a Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the dancers love it, you know, and it was about the dancers. It was about the dancing, and it was yeah. about the dance floor. And yeah, then you got yeah. acid, and I connected with the acid house stuff because it was really. To me, it was like another version of something like Hawkwind or something. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. mad, out of tune, atonal kind of like. Yeah. And loud. And and trancey and. Trance, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was something in it that was informed by all my listening previously. You know. Mm. Even jazz, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And. Um, so I don't want to lose the thread here. No, but it's all the thread, yeah. It's, um, 
it was this eclectic mixture of records but you know you say you got a Michael Jackson record or something that had come out and it was a big big news when Michael put a record out you know I remember being at the, the Reno Club in Manchester which is like yeah. a real domino kind of basement bloody hell I've not heard that before yeah <laughs> bloody hell yeah and uh, the night that Bad came out and that's the one with Jimmy Smith on it isn't it yeah and yeah I mean all I mean you know Lucas and all those people I think yeah I'm not getting it mixed up in my uh pensioner head here but um but uh the dj uh tomlin uh, chris and tomlin uh were these manchester djs yeah and he played it about eight times you know it's just sort of like it's big it's new it's like yeah. you know and but the sounds in those records were the same sounds in uh the sos band or uh, <coughs> all these <coughs> R and for a want of a better term, like R and B kind of yeah, 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 yeah. But there was this whole thread of British ones like um, Loose Ends and Southern Freeze and records that used eight oh eights and like yeah. the, the Roland equipment and you gradually started hearing it in everything. And I was working as an engineer at the studio at the time, so all these neo soul bands were coming through. Yeah, uh, and that's a that's a that's a term that people think is now, and it's not. It's like yeah, it was a it's a big deal in the eighties. In the eighties, you know, yeah, yeah. And there was bands from Manchester that, you know, the the first time you saw synths really for me, or got my hands on things, and it was like somebody come in with a memory moog or something. You know, it was like whoa, you know, it's like these big fat pads and you know and all these chunky baseline things and like Mm -hmm. I was talking about Barrington earlier they had like strap on 101 and like some people would use a 101 in a certain way some other people like Barrington would use it in a really flashy Rick James kind of way yeah yeah it was a a beautiful mix in in Manchester of all these things yeah that that was became a language you know it became a language of Yeah, yeah, um, so. electronic stuff that when uh, but the thing that kicked it off was the fact that the price point when I started doing this engineering course that's the first time I came across the Atari came I remember the day it arrived yeah and we all stood around it like the monolith in 2001 <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> probably you know hitting it with a bone or something you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like make it work make you it know? go yeah yeah, yeah. Actually, there was a thing. I don't, God, it's so expansive. This, but um, yeah, it is, there was uh, a scheme in Manchester where the adult education system. When we were on the dole, the, you could go to the poly on uh, and do these courses. Uh, my friend Colin went and did African drumming with a guy called Quasi, and that's how that that set him off on that path towards the samba thing. Yeah, they had the, like an African music group. Oh, great thing. Yeah, and it was like you paid, I think it was 50p or something. Yeah, yeah, it would be So he yeah, did yeah. that. Uh, me, Howard and Tom from Biting Tongs did the Indian music thing. Oh. With right. a guy called Mani, uh, Pandit Manikrao Popatkar. Right, and uh, you talk about Dave ha- Dave Hassel, the drum educator in Manchester. Yeah. He yeah. knew this guy. They yeah. did. Gig- they did 
performances together. Yeah. And he'd done a lot of records in India for EMI India and played with like, you know, famous Indian classical. Yeah. He was proper, you know. Proper, yeah. But he found himself in Manchester kind of thing and yeah. he got this gig yeah. teaching people like us <laughs> the basics you know the real sort of yeah. abc of like yeah, Indian music yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he would put us on at performances you know like like east meets west kind of thing yeah and uh, we did this one gig in the gaylord indian restaurant in spring gardens gaylord. in manchester yeah, yeah. and it was like a sort of special presentation great, right you know i played electric guitar we had uh, tom tom from biting tongues on trombone Tom Bone, as he was known. Tom Bone, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and Howard Wormsley on sax. Yeah, and and yeah. then Eric Random, who was another musician who was on New Hormones. He was like the first guy I knew with an 808 drum machine. And he was associated with Cabaret Voltaire. But he had an Indian, he went to India and he changed his life and he came back and was doing Indian music. He was in a, there was another guy doing Indian music in Manchester called Sons of Arca. Michael Wadada, and he he uh, he had an Indian influence thing that he mixed with reggae, and there's there's records with him and um, who's the uh, Jamaican artist that he made a record with, like Prince Farai. Right. Uh, you know, and the, these things were yeah flashy at the time. You know. Yeah. yeah this is yeah. we're talking eighty four, eighty five kind of thing. Yeah, was this all kind of Hume area? Or, uh, it was or, at the Polytechnic, Poly, or, you know, near, right. near Oxford Road. Oxford Road, yeah. And uh, yeah. anyway, we, yeah, we, did, we were doing this gig at this Indian restaurant in town, and uh, we, Biting Tongues was on Factory at the time. It turns out we coincided with the Factory, mu- uh, factory Records Christmas curry outing, and, and, <laughs> and they were just looking at us going like, what the... You know, yeah. it's like, what are they doing here? Yeah. Why are they doing why are they, that? Why are they? <laughs> they were just like falling over sideways, you yeah, know. Yeah. It's not like yeah, going yeah. Uh, it, was, it was like some weird, mad serendipitous moment kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason I was interested in Indian music, because we were going back to, you know, we used to go to like, when gigs were like 50p at the free trade hall, one, when I was still at school, one Sunday night, uh, was, I used to listen to loads of Mahavishnu records. Yeah, yeah. And he was on doing Shakti, the first yeah. version of Shakti, which is his Indian, John McLaughlin's Indian yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. And I went to that for 50p on a Sunday night, got on the bus by myself, I just went on my own. And, and it, that changed my life. It yeah. was like, uh, it was a shocking gig, you know, like incredibly yeah, mind bending. To set that, of musicians where Zaki is saying on yeah. El Shankar on the violin and uh, Vikram thingy on the clay pot and yeah, yeah. Ah, you know so I like I got started listening to loads of Indian music off that well his records and then you know branching out into Indian music which was really easy where we lived in Longsight Levenshoe yeah, yeah. because the record library was it was a big Asian area and the record yeah, library right. was full of stuff we used yeah. to buy our blank cassettes from this place called Shadoos in Russia and oh, they, yeah, they yeah, you, you'd yeah, pick yeah. up you know uh, that was a great shop that yeah. place yeah yeah they had all like laser discs and yeah all it was mega I think yeah. But we pick up loads of soundtrack stuff from like long, long site library. They, eventually, yeah, yeah. when people had wore them out, you could buy them for a quid or whatever. Yeah. You know? 
and then uh, she do she used to get things like the Kwali tapes and like uh, yeah. Pakistani stuff. Uh, the Sabri brothers and um, Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan and that that was a bit of a thing at the time. We were all listening to that stuff, you know, because yeah, yeah. uh, it's really heavy stuff. But he came to Russia. Nusrat Fatih Ali Khan came to Russia, and Eddie, drummer from Biting Tongues, had to drive him around. He he would he was in with this promote. <laughs> he he was in with this promoter called Alan Wise in Manchester, and he used to do oh, jobs. Yeah, so yeah. Eddie found himself on tour with Nico and various people. Yeah, and, like, Ed, Ed, Eddie's biography would be brilliant, you know, because he's got all these... I bet like, there's some stories. Yeah, he, like, Ed, Eddie got everywhere. He, he was, uh, uh, yeah, a, a bit older than me, but I, yeah, I, I was always kind of a bit scared of Eddie in some ways, in that he lived a larger kind of existence than yeah. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a lovely bloke, look, he's, he, he was... Uh, a mod, really, you know, at heart, you know. Yeah. So he lived in sort of mod speed life. Mod speed <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, got involved with all these, these uh, yeah, he's just slightly older. I always like the fact that I was the youngest in bands for years. Right. I don't like being the oldest in bands. Well, <clears throat> yeah. It's yeah. a thing, you know. I find myself being the oldest all the time now, whereas I used to be the youngest, and I used to like. I don't know whether that's a sibling thing. I br- I was brought up with brothers who are older than me, yeah, and therefore my comfy yeah. place is not Always to be, be yeah. head of things. You know. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is because music, um, as you get older, as we as we get older, mm. music keeps you young. And you yeah, I like to think that. And you yeah. and so the people yeah. that you you know attract to you get attracted to play to. Yeah. You're always feeling like you want to play with the younger yeah. people, don't you? Because you, you know I've got no. So to go off at another tangent, but one of the people that really got to me that way is like, so various people have stayed on this sofa. <laughs> one uh, of them being imagine, yeah. we. I got a call. Uh, the the free improvised guys. Um, we're having Marshall Allen over from the Sun Ra band kind of thing. He did a thing called Cinema Solarians and it was like uh, a two-piece. Marshall Allen and a, another sax player and they did a duo thing. Anyway, they were playing in Liverpool and Paddy was uh, the support band on that and we went across to that and, uh, and he ended up staying here for three days kind wow. of thing. Uh, so I had David Allen on the sofa. Yeah. Marshall Allen on the sofa. <laughs> well, at the time he was 93, I think. Blimey. And he was like, oh, can I bring my girlfriend? And <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's kind of so yeah, he was here with his companion kind of thing. Wow. And uh, he, you know, he saw all the instruments lying about. He's like, oh, you play kind of thing. Yeah. And instead yeah, like, yeah. oh, I was like, oh, well, no, you know, not, um, I am not worthy or whatever, you know. Right. And he was like, fuck that. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's like, and so we ended up doing a, a jam uh, that we, we did a jam in this church nearby and uh, recorded it and stuff. And uh, got, I got Richard in. Yeah, yeah. And Did Richard uh, still live? Wally Range. Wally you know? Range, yeah. still the same place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Paddy. And yeah. He still loves you, Paddy. And 
he um, oh yeah Marshall had a drummer a Dutch drummer Rod, Rogier Small Small I think he was called and, and so we yeah we just did this <laughs> spontaneous thing and he was like you know, he, all, all weekends he's talking about, you know, just like music for health kind of things, you know what I mean? Health, yeah. And just do, sort yeah. of like, don't yeah. ever do yourself down with like having to do all that music bollocks, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just so it's all about creation, you know, and it, which, which I already, I know that. You know? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but to have it from, uh, you know, somebody who had been listening to his records since since I was a kid, you know. Yeah, and he's like, at that age, he's yeah. way older, you know. And I mean, he's a hundred this year. He's a hundred this year, yeah. Yeah, 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 bloody hell. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. But I think inevitably, <clears throat> that's what happens, isn't it? You know, as you get older, you're trying to keep that energy, and so you... you yeah, know, if you can get to year to a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, yeah. And to still be playing... Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting that that. Feeling. No, but it's like you say, you, you can't imagine not doing it. Can can't you? imagine not doing it. No, no. And no. all that thing with you know like Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like, like my dad had dementia towards the end. <coughs> kind of thing. Oh, right. But you could always get him to a place with music, you know, by playing something, right. you know, putting yeah. the headphones on him, and mm. you know he loved brass band stuff, you know. Did, did you do brass band in Gloss, Gloss? <coughs> Yeah, I did it at school. Yeah. And then I did Gloss of Old Band, yeah. And then I went to Chats and then I left all band stuff. And I used, yeah. to, I used to do Manchester brass band like, as a ringer occasionally when they needed a percussionist from school when I was yeah. like 16. Because when we did that Session 72 thing where all the trombones were That's proper right. brass band dudes, wasn't banders, it? Yeah, well, yeah. they started there, but a lot of them were in the, like, the Halle, weren't they? they <coughs> all were in various proper that's what happens. symphony stuff, yeah you know? yeah when I, mean, I just recorded this organ trio uh, CD and um, and I wanted to do an organ trio for ages but I had this bizarre realisation um, my first gig when I was 12 was with an organist in a working man's club well yes because yeah. the band room on yeah. Saturday night these guys come play organ and they cottoned on that I was drumming in this band yeah. and I was alright and so I used to do this gig my dad used to drop me off Walk, he used to walk with me we'd have a car so he used to walk me to the band room yeah. and then I'd get 10 quid my dad thought it was just the greatest thing in the world it's like I was 12 and I was getting paid £10 in 1983 yeah, yeah it would probably take you a week wouldn't it to yeah. get 10 I mean, he was, yeah I was, getting, I was getting paid more for that night my dad was getting paid a day yeah. to do the job he was doing a, a GM buses you know yeah. and I'm sure the guy on the organ was getting 90 quid, but he was giving me a tenner. Yeah. And I was playing behind these singers that were singing bars of seven and three all over the shop, you know, and I was just following them. But it, I suddenly realised that that sound, uh, there's something about it. It was a far feaser, I think. It wasn't a particularly right. great organ, but it yeah. had a, you know, and when I wasn't playing, he had the auto drum, you know, he had the auto oh, yeah. things on, you yeah. know, whatever it was, a Bon Tempe sounding. But just that early memory of playing along with single person you know mm. like the bass and the thing in one thing and then these singers going yeah. on just follow the turn lad he'd say you know <laughs> <coughs> I mean, that was the thing <coughs> just listening it was just a listening thing you know there's no it's such, ego a funny, or... it's such a funny instrument the organ isn't it that it became ingrained in our lives in, yeah, as yeah. The, in the way it did yeah yeah because uh, you know uh, we were talking before that I'd set up this organ quartet 
That's right. Be, because I, it was collected when eBay happened. Uh, you know, you, I started looking at keyboards on eBay and all like that like kind of you needed more keyboards. But, you, but <laughs> you, you spotted these things. It's like, oh, that's pretty. That's pretty. That that's one, interesting. Yeah, kind of, it looks yeah. like Steve Zodiac's sideboard or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But one of the things that kicked me off, and I've got this photo, is like uh, just up the end of the road there uh, was an old Masonic lodge. They've the, the, the gutted it and made it into flats now. But uh, when we started that group, uh, they were gutting it. There was skips outside or whatever. Yeah. And there was four organs. I swear I've got the photo. There was four organs in that place, you know, because it's like a sort of social yeah. club or something. And they were in the skip, were they? Or yeah. They... Four of them. I've got a photo. And did, you t- did you leave them in the skip? Or did you yeah, I couldn't, you couldn't get in. It was all gated off. And, oh, no. And uh, wow. they didn't look like good ones, you know what I mean? Yeah, they looked yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah, you know, yeah. some mid-range Well, I had business. a far visa for a while in yeah. my flat and I never really played it. Right. It was a bit... Uh, uh, so... I I had a Vox Jaguar and I bought this one first purchase on eBay for me was this Yamaha YC45D which was the organ that Miles Davis used in the 70s on those kind of mad uh, his his 70 you know his 70 psychedelic stuff you know and it was like this special sound and and they had it on various records like Chick Corea had it on Return to Forever records every time I heard it it said oh what's that one yeah ooh that would Chick be playing that with Miles I would have thought because Jarrett only played Rhodes didn't he he didn't Uh, no he he had an organ he he played Rhodes with one hand when you see him in that version of the group he was he plays Rhodes with one hand and he plays this um Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Fender organ. It's uh, yeah, it's got lots of rocker switches on it. So he's playing that with his left hand. Doing the two. He's doing two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I should know the name of that. Um, anyway, so <laughs> so you get interested in these things. You go yeah. down these rabbit holes, and the yeah, the, the, the the Yamaha one is is like oh, it's it's a particular thing. Bit bit obsessed with it. And then yeah. I got some other ones and. Um, 30 quid, you know, people give them, yeah. I, I got given a Vox Continental, you know. Yeah, well, Farfisa was given yeah. to me. So yeah, was people were giving it away. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was in the way, you know. And anyway, we, we decided, yeah, I needed this project to play the drums in, so <laughs> over a drunken pub conversation yes. with my mate Mandy, she, yeah. she, we put together this idea and we got in yeah. uh, next door's piano teacher, who was Ragnar from Iceland. And, oh, right, and okay. uh, Naomi, who was another piano, yeah. who, uh, was another <coughs> piano teacher, and uh, Steve Brown's girlfriend at the time, who was Henrietta. Who That's was, right. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. now Afro, Afro-Deutsch kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and was somebody And she couldn't play. Uh, she, hadn't, she liked to dabble on the keyboards, but she, yeah. you know, she, like some of these piano teachers were pretty handy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we were a mixture of things, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, was somebody influential with the costume design. Yeah. yeah. So we invented <laughs> some legend about some lost organ quartet in Man- Manchester in the nineteen thirties at some air force base and all this kind of. You know, right. Yeah. Created a sort of faux story that that, yeah. that all fitted in, but it was actually inspired by these four organs in a skip up the road. It's <laughs> like what's got on there, Masonic Lodge kind yeah. of. Yeah. You know, yeah. organ quartet business you know 
Well, there's also a Steve Reich album called Four Organs. I know that's right. Like the cover yeah, of that yeah. is also part of the inspiration <clears throat> yeah, for doing yeah. it. And when you see all those Philip Glass early uh, yeah, concerts yeah. where they've all got a far freezer and it's all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. there's a bit of that in there it's that, that sound those, those, the percussiveness of the Steve Wright that sound of yeah. those it's, like, it's really amazing it's bitey it? isn't it yeah. because when they're all in unison yeah. it's like wow you know yeah and yeah, that's that's the thing in 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 your head. But yeah, you kind of like, when you're writing for something like that, it's got, it gets all a bit baroque because you have to weave weave lines around and weave the lines, make make a of, sort of yeah, yeah make tapestry sure. kind of music. <laughs> but we had the sort of disco <clears throat> element, a disco edge to it. I was I yeah, uh, it was fun. It was a really fun project, and uh, really missed. When it. did that finish then? It kind of finished when people had babies and yeah, drifted. Just naturally, yeah. the natural yeah. life of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed playing the drums. But, you yes. know, obviously you would need to mark my work and I would get an E minus story, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, it's all... It's the spirit of it, isn't it? Yeah. The spirit of it is what it's all about, you know, and that was always the, you know, the thing of, um, of, of being, you know, I talk about this a lot about being, I mean, like where I teach, you know, the, the, the philosophical problem that, that everybody mulls over forever because there's a moral thing to it, it's a, it's a spiritual thing, is this thing of, the pro versus the artist, you know, yeah. you know, and this is the thing I've kind of rankled with my whole adult life is because I, you know, wanted to be, wanted to be an artist, but ended up being a pro. All right, that, that's an interesting thing yeah. that you say there. It's that's... a really weird, and so the thing, like I was thinking about, you know, thinking about the scenes thing, about when you, you yeah. were talking before about the way that, you know, you get into a, th- a thing in a scene, and and I was with Pete Turner the other night, we did a little gig in Leeds, and I've not seen Pete for ages, and I've played with Pete since 97, you know, yeah. for a long, long time, and uh, good friends and all that. And Pete walks in the room, and I look at him, and he's got a look like he's like he's got a style there's something is there's an artistic thing about him you know mm. and, and 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 the same with yourself and, and a lot of other people have got this kind of thing and I look at myself and I just see someone who's pretty kind of generic and drab in this kind of there's nothing and it's kind of it's always been about the drums for yeah. me the centre of it all is and in the teaching because you know people say I've, I've, I've had some extraordinarily good students who they work very hard. People say, yeah, you've, you've done a, you do a great job with your students. And I go, I don't do the work. Mm. They do the work. You know, I'm, I'm just here. And they ask me questions and I try and help them. Yeah. That's all it is, you know. And I ask them to practice certain things that will be helpful to us because I kind of do understand a bit about the instrument. And about yeah, do you, how, how much of a percentage of your self-view is an educator now because you've been in, in education for a long time? 2006, yeah. Yeah, how do you balance... Associate, I think. All right. How do you balance <laughs> those two things? Well, it's like, it's tricky because I, I you find that um, I go through periods of not playing enough right. socially, 
you know, I, I practice more than I've ever practiced now. I'm, I'm the best drummer I've ever been. Right. As, a, as an operator of the instrument, I, I know I'm... Damn, that was... <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm at the edge of as good as I am, you know. Yeah, yeah. But in some respects, mentally. No, I know, I've seen you, your clips of it, well, sort of like... It's, you've got unique handwriting on that stuff, and it's come from all that. Yeah, you try. And this is, I, I can see certain influences here, certain yeah. chapters you met me. Yeah, yeah, very much. But so. there's a handwriting to your drumming that is is so uh, dynamics are on a different level. You know, it's kind of like. Well, that was always the thing. For, yeah. The thing for me was always about intensity and quiet volume. Yeah, it's about having that. Thing of being able to sit in a really vulnerable space and yeah. still communicate something that had and not be lightweight and all kind of apologetic, still yeah. be able to be like, wow, but it's super quiet. Yeah, that's that, really hard. That yeah. was that yeah. was the, the only thing I, that and sound, you know, yeah. sound, and it's all about it's all become about sound for me, really. But does that involve spending loads of money on symbols and things? <laughs> but well, finding. You know, I mean, I've been very lucky because I got this arrangement with Istanbul with Barry Race, and, and right. we fell out a little bit, but we've, 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 we're all right now. Yeah. We had a bit of a weird thing for a few years, and yeah. that was me being childish, like I always I fall out with people, I'm a bit childish, and I can't yeah. get over it, and I find my way back, and it's all fine, you know. Yeah. And I get mad about things, and I don't deal with things, conflict very well, and stuff, you know. But, but I've had this thing with Barry, and so I've been very lucky of fact, like Istanbul. The, the AGOP symbols, because I was into Jack, and Jack was an Istanbul uh, person in the 80s. But that sound he had with the Jarrett trail was yeah. Istanbul. Then he, had, then he went to the Sabian Encore thing, which I wasn't that into. But, and he was pasty with Charles Lloyd, I think it was the pasty sound in the 60s. Yeah. You know? But the Istanbul, that Istanbul sound was, was always the sound world, because drums are drums. You know, drums and drums and cymbals, and yeah. the, the drummer's ruin. You know, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, oh, like, you talk to Lou Flowers about yeah. Tony Williams' Nefertiti symbol, and he's still searching for it. You know? right. It's that same. Chick, Chick Corea's got uh, that symbol, hasn't he? That's what, and, and Dennis, apparently, well, Dennis well, Chambers. Who's got, got it now? Well, who's <laughs> got it now? Yeah, that's true. Dennis Chambers apparently has one of the other ones. Yeah. And it's the Port Motier, and you know, that one with all the holes in it. You can go and visit and hug that symbol. Yeah, his, right. his niece has got that in the museum, you know. Wow. And there's always this thing about symbols. I've been very lucky that Barry, I uh, go up to Barry, and he knows me very well. He knows yeah. my taste, so he'll just. So he's, he's got one in that you might he's be interested in. He's got one in, and he'll pull yeah. it out, yeah. and it, I'll play it, and he'll go, and he'll yeah. look at me, you know. And it's that. So I've got that relate. very luckily got that relationship, which saves me a fortune. Yeah. And I don't buy a lot of stuff now. I mean, yeah. I've been buying a lot of snare drums recently because I'm. I've recently got back into buying snare drums. I used to have a lot of snare drums, got rid of them all. Yeah. And now I've started buying snare drums again. I've kind of getting back into the snare drum thing. But I've got, you know, I ended up with the Sonophonics, which I always wanted. And I've got a whole set of them now. I've got, I've got all the toms, I've got three bass drums. Yeah. So I've got that sound, which was always the jack sound, you know. But I kind of tune them in a different way, so I've got my own thing going on with yeah. that, you know. And then the vocabulary is different as well. Yeah. But it's this thing of like of of, um, of feeling like like the artist thing for me. Um, people always say, "Oh, you are you know you're an artist because you've got the, the like what you're describing, you know this." But I always feel like I'm. I've. It's all just about the drums, you know, like about the actual drums, the kind of. Because I'm really, obviously really into music, yeah. obviously, you know, it's kind of goes without saying, really. But I don't feel like I'm like 
so the thing in HE and education is that that dichotomy yeah. you want people to come into higher education from whatever and they're really serious about it and and for me I want them to come through if, if I end up teaching them which I'm blessed to do a lot and I have some great students is to just have this thing of trying to stop them do too much of that and try and get them to stay in a straight slightly straighter line you know yeah. they're still experimenting and I say to them all the time you've got to experiment you've got to experiment even with the exercises you know yeah. the sound of it finding the sound but like the physicality thing I'm quite good at helping by saying you know you, you're using the wrong part of the arm you, you want to use this wrist or the fingers because that sound you're going to get the weight but the weight comes from here not from yeah. it's, it's a waste of energy and, it, and it's got a fat sound you don't want that sound you want the sound of intent all those things are talking about all those things all the time and that's the thing that I kind of help them with yeah. but they do the work yeah. you know and they're all they've got the music that they're into you know there's that side yeah the intent is yeah. is the it, it, it often gets missed out doesn't it yeah. you know it's like what are you trying to do you know? what are you trying to do yeah. you know what what's the end game what, yeah. what's even the start game actually yeah. and yeah. how to then live a musical life <clears> that, <throat> that isn't uh, against your natural instincts is, yeah. is really hard isn't it yeah, yeah yeah and that's the thing that's the thing I found because ec is. economics will Economics. kick you into weird shapes all the yeah. time you know yeah. what I mean but I feel it's like the hardest thing you know I think that was the last the last generation of that you know the the, the, the dole because yeah. I was on the dole for a while um, in the 90s after when I moved to Manchester and I was on housing benefit because yeah. I was trying to forge a career I was trying to start out playing doing gigs for nine quid you know and declaring it Going down to the the thing, the, yeah. the office down on the where where it was Wilmslow Road or wherever it was, you know, uh, by the, the well, down. like an MU thing. Well, just you know, you know, going oh, no, the dole. going to the Dole yeah, and saying, yeah. oh, I did my, I did a gig at Cafe Renoir, yeah, yeah. that was the place, yeah. and I got nine pounds on Friday, and yeah. they go, oh right, okay, they deduct. No, we, yeah. we we used to see like you know proper pop stars in the Dole queue. Kind of, yeah, they said like you're on top of the pops, you know. last last week, you That's know. Right. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of people I think we both know. Yeah. We remember still they were still signing on when they were, yeah. you know, when they'd been on the telly. Well, it doesn't mean to say you've got the money by that point, you know. No. You, do you know what I mean? It's like money can take a long time. Ninety, 90 days when I first started yeah. that was when you did anything for a record company. It oh yeah, I mean, it's days, just gone into a debt, hasn't yeah. it? A lot of the time. Yeah, it's got it's gone into yeah. Not everyone. No one understood that. I mean, all the like, you know, we had, we were on top of the pops a lot, and people assumed that we made a load of money, and maybe we did, but you know, most of it went into music. Straight, <laughs> straight back in the pot. The yeah, business the and the amount of yeah. people that surround a business in yeah. in uh, auxiliary positions. Yeah. Uh, when you when you look at the books, it's dead like you know your slice of the pie isn't what you think it would no, be you know no, what I mean no. it's like the, you, you're paying loads of people loads yeah. of stuff and, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. including you know tax and all that kind all of thing, tax thing. Yeah. Well, you, I mean you, you're a lot of your you've done a lot of writing I mean you wrote for you like that film you did the uh, OMP Tom oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Good, yeah we, we, we did some stuff on that didn't we yeah some sessions yeah yeah that's that, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that kind of so this you've always had your finger in those the publishing side haven't you as well if yeah you, you under, kind of understand because the thing I always I always found with the music industry was because I was this kind of oblivious idiot just walking through playing the drum I, I yeah. was an idealist I just wanted to play the drums I didn't really 
and I didn't come from a family background where there was any understanding of business. Yeah. My mum and dad worked for people. They never, you know, there was never this kind of philanthropist or like that's the right yeah. word or, or kind of, you know. I don't know how you get good at it, business, no. without messing up a few times. You know what yeah, I mean? you've got to be brave to do that, haven't yeah. you? You've got to, and you've got to feel like you've got a uh, you you've got a safety net. Yeah. And I don't think in my family particularly, I don't feel like I ever had that. So it was always about saying yes to the next thing. Yeah. <clears throat> because I know I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ten quid or I'm gonna get twenty quid or I'm yeah. gonna get fifty quid at least. There was never a thing of like, let's just do this thing for a while and, and turn the back on that, you know. I remember the, before we signed with ZTT kind of thing, being in a terrible spin about it, going like, I'm not sure this is the right thing. I'm okay. not sure these are the right people. I'm not... Yeah. So much doubt. And like Emma, and, and who were new back then, my partner, yeah. um, uh, remembers putting me on a train to go and sign that thing and me being completely in a flap about it, you know, going, ah, I'm really not sure. Would you not go on the train without her then? Um, no, probably, I probably would, you know, it was like you the were, momentum were, of, that, of like being in a band with four then. people, yeah. a manager, yeah. and, then, and all those people and all being that. like, this is it, you this know. This is the one. Yeah, and me being like, from. yeah, but I'm, you know, <clears throat> and I went along with it, but I, in hindsight, if I didn't go along with it, the timing was more important than okay. the thing. Right. But That's interesting. Um, I did make, like, you know, sort of... I'm still living the consequences of signing that thing. Yeah. Yeah, there could have been a better way of doing it if I'd had both feet on the ground and a, and a, and a confidence that I didn't have, you know. A confidence to go, like, you know... I am capable of writing one percent more or something. Yeah, there. yeah. I'm about to write loads of yeah. It, it hits, you know. Yeah. I didn't know. No, of course not. No, Somebody no. was just betting on you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then um, you had to live up to it. And living up to it is like yeah, yeah. Uh, but the best the odds thing. in their favour, weren't they? I would yeah. say. Is that fair to say? But I think the the actually the fact that people had sort of dared you to do it, you know, or you know, backed you to do it, instead like right now you've got to live up to it. I think I responded well to that, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. I was that kind of character. It's like, whereas like other people, a lot of people were getting signed up in the rave thing that that didn't last very long, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I was um, serious uh, about what I did you know kind of thing you know? yeah about the music yeah yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, uh, I didn't sure. know that until I was doing it you know what I mean? right okay my confidence nice. wasn't good you know yeah because yeah. I have a kind of character that that um, um, what's the word I've got through on really thin amounts of confidence at times right but it's been important that certain people patted me on the back at the right moments. Sure. And those little snooker ball nudges yeah, of somebody recognising something in you and going like, you know what, kind of like, and just those pushes, those little yeah, nudges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I can remember certain moments where people did that and that's carried me through the whole thing, you know. So it's important to remember Mm. in dealing mm. in education you know yeah, or, sure. or just these things of like you can ruin somebody's thing or you can or you can 
puff, like a little puff of air that sends their sails into yeah. the right thing. You know, it's it's dead important, isn't it? Yeah. It is, and, and it's the moments where because you know, like students, they, I I feel in order to play the drums in this in this whole whatever that jazz thing is, it's so yeah. enormous. But there's a kind of operation of the instrument that I've seen in my years of playing. All, all the people that I've played with who play all play completely differently and they all have different things, but they have this thing in the middle of them, this essence, which is the same. And it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a connection and a way of thinking and operating the instrument and a connection to the instrument, a physical connection to the instrument. Right. And it's, I think a lot of it's about their sound, actually. Yeah. That kind of physicality of making you know i've got to yeah. make sure i can make my sound whatever it is whatever that sound is you know i think about richard harrison and his setup with his with the inside of a washing machine on stand you know and yeah that's his sound isn't it you know he's got to have even if he never plays it yeah. it's still that option isn't it of 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 like this is my toolkit you know yeah and and when you when you're teaching and i don't call it teaching I, I'm, I'm mentoring at best or whatever it is it's just that thing of somebody comes into a space, I have a moral obligation person to, to, to make sure that the way that they connect and operate the instrument is going to serve them well. And if there's anything that's really not working physically, technically, I have to address it, you know. And the ones that all do well is they'll take that on. Mm. And it doesn't, it, doesn't blow the, it doesn't blow the wind out of their sails, you yeah. know. That's, the, that's yeah. the tightrope you've got to walk. Because if somebody comes in and they've got a thing and they're in education and but the way they're operating the instrument is really gonna I, i'm sort of thinking oh the, you want to play in this way and because I've, I've been alive longer that's not gonna you're not gonna be able to do that thing when you get onto a higher level you're gonna be hitting a brick wall with yeah. you're not gonna be able to physically do it on the instrument you're gonna injure yourself or you just it's just not so you need to work on that and it, it might not even be, it might be a dull thing. I mean, I wrote this book called Rudiment Foundations for Snare Drum. It's a, yeah. And I say, I give, I give it to my students, I say, it's the most boring book ever. You know, I, there's no illusions about <laughs> this thing is boring. Yeah. But if you're into that practice pad thing and sitting there and yeah. doing it, then, you know, but it's yeah. honestly, it's not exciting. Yeah. That's, this is the job of work, you know, if you want I'm, to. I'm reminded of Phil Kirby again. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah and, I mean, and and I feel like I want to say something about the film because no, he's I mean, been an important person in Manchester that gets ignored, not not ignored, but he's just not in the limelight. He's not that kind well, of. Well, we've guy. got I've got I had this list of people, but uh, and we've talked yeah. about all, but Phil really is yeah. the one because Phil was never me and Phil didn't do tool shed together. No, no, he was always around, and I right, used yeah. to see him. So he, he did uh, tool shed earlier, earlier than me. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. got a very unique style. It's, it's 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 like a it was really like we did some of these biting tongues records and he'd be learning some kind of uh, Tony Allen beat or something you know? yeah but it might start on the two instead of the one or something you know and it'd be yeah, like yeah, yeah, Tony and, Allen. And, uh, and what we wrote over the top of it was nothing to do with Afro beat you know what yeah. I mean so it's like a weird thing you know yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. and he was just like like a sort of uh, he, he he, he could play almost with drum machine kind of quantized, you know what I mean? There's yeah. a certain quantized to his playing that yeah. 
that was um, part of his personality and um, but you know he got he got into all the sort of he got into drum machine stuff early on and playing really, to a click really and, did yeah. yeah and he had the D drums like I said he was yeah. the only guy I ever knew because I knew about D drums I had a cassette that had a demo yeah. and he's the only guy I've ever met ever owned them who invested it and he yeah. invested it and they yeah. were amazing yeah. you know they, they'd never been surpassed in my opinion yeah. I don't think anybody got close to them and they sort of went defunct and it Clavier, yeah. was it Clavier music turned into the Nord and all that, didn't it? And, right, yeah. and D drums, you can buy D drums now, but the drums made of metal, aren't they? But they're not, right. they're not, they're just normal drums. They're not this electronic, and that's something. Well, you'd go around his house and they'd be like doing practice pad and all, you know, yeah, rud- rudiment yeah. stuff. And he had octopad and things. Yeah. Didn't he, and all oh yeah, stuff. early octopad. Because ad- I had a then. Yeah. And, and, and 80. Yeah. <laughs> so when he was in Yargo, that, that Yargo's yeah. a really, you know, they got signed by London Records in like 86 or 7 or something. And uh, they were on the cover of The Enemy and stuff. And they're, they're a bit of a Manchester lost legendary band, you know what I mean? They didn't quite make the. They didn't have a hit. Because of maybe what, because of everything else that was going on. At the well, time, I don't know. They just, just didn't, sometimes they just they're not that band that yeah, do a hit. Sure. But on the other hand, they were a buzz band at that time. You know, yeah, it was like yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone loved them live. You know, people still talk about them now. Uh, Paddy Paddy Steer was the bass player. Paddy was involved in that. Uh, right? Tony yeah, Burnside yeah. on the guitar, and Paddy and Tony did this project yeah, Home yeah. Life after that. That's right. And. Basil Clark was a vocalist. <coughs> and Basil was a bit of a star, yeah. kind of thing. And uh, they were on the played, tune. Just uh, played did... session seventy two, didn't he? As well, he was involved. Yeah, yeah, in he was in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tony's been in our world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, they were on the tube and things That's like right. that. That was a big deal to get yeah, on the tube. Yeah, the tube and so, yeah. yeah, Friday night. TV program. That was Jules Holland, wasn't it? Yeah. The word was Terry, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I always get them. I always get them the wrong way round. Yeah. He got fired, didn't he, Jules, for saying the f word, didn't he? All right. Didn't he say fuck live? And he got. And he had to go to the states for a while. Yeah, I've like what been watching those. Uh, what was that David Sanborn thing? thing yeah. Which is a forerunner of yeah. later, really, it's, isn't it? Sorry, it no, is later, yeah, but yeah. done on New York Cable. Was it New York Cable? Yeah, and, yeah. and the house bands, Marcus Miller. The house oh, bands insane. And, yeah. and uh, Hiram Bullock. Yeah. And because there's a great James Taylor version of Dream Real with Milton Massimento yeah. and BVs. And it's home. What's it called, that program? I don't no idea, but. Night she, music. That's it. Jules yeah. was the other presenter. Yeah, for a, for a while. For a yeah. while, yeah. I and he was, he was he's all really awkward on it as well. Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like a, a Brit, a Cockney in New York, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's it, very it's weird. Odd. But there's some amazing performances <laughs> amazing on that program stuff. of yeah. like Sunrise on it, yeah. Miles Davis. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think, uh, you know. Uh, all, all sorts of people and the house band I mean Marcus Miller must have been really Mith- young Matheny yeah, yeah. They, all, they all went through that yeah yeah because James Taylor Don Gromlick's playing piano on it yeah it's a real mix up isn't it yeah yeah, yeah and then they did they, and then he did a, a backing thing with, with Milton and it's like it's just, and Sanborn sits yeah. in doesn't he yeah. and plays on things yeah, no, that would get like I used to find Sanborn a bit hard on the, you know, like those saxophone players that are real like eighties yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and the sax solo, you know, yeah. that sort of yeah, in a yeah, Tina yeah. Turnery vibe kind of thing. That's I right. thought he was all like that, but he's not. 
He can do all sorts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the, some, he's on some John Schofield. Um, he's on Pick Hits, that album. Um, is he on some like uh, Brecker Brothers stuff as well? Is he like a member of yeah, them yeah, at times? Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, a lot of the James Taylor horn sections. Right. Tom yeah. Scott, Dave Sanborn, Brecker, Randy yeah. Brecker. And he, and of course, he's on like Talking Book, Stevie Wonder. And, yeah, yeah, he's on all he's those like, things. He's, he's, Pops up all over the place, something like Sally, yeah. cosmic. Yeah. Yeah. But when he does his own thing, it's that. Yeah. And I don't really connect with that yeah. at all, you know. But when you talk on pick hits, it's like uh, oh, it's just ridiculous. I know, like talking to Sam Healy, who was uh, we were talking about Sam earlier, yeah, who was in yeah. Toolshed, also player. Yeah. But you know, he he really rated Sambor. You know, or he or he knew what was Sambor about Sambor. But he was like, you know, Sam was a real Michael Brecker kind of. He got me converted into one of those. Uh, yeah, he got yeah, me yeah. down the Michael Brecker um, yeah. rabbit hole, you know. And, yeah, he was pre. Yeah. He was pre Brecker for me as well. Actually, it was that whole because he was Bob Burke as well. because yeah. he's dead now. He got killed a long time ago, didn't he? In, in the snow in New York, and I was really into Mike Stern, and and they're all they're all uh, miles, weren't they? Because Stern. Yeah. Uh, Scoey, uh, yeah. Robin Ford. See the the miles, miles thing when we were teenagers was real big deal. You know, yeah. I got uh, Live Evil was the Live one Evil. of the early ones I got, yeah. and that that was a shockingly sort of uh, life changing record. You know, with John McLaughlin on it. Well, you like, gave me uh, you gave me a copy of that album. All oh, right, did it? Yeah, 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 you copied yeah, it for us. Either evangelical, you must have this kind of. It way. was yeah because. Yeah, it was not one that I'd really checked out. I'd listen yeah. to Man with a Horn and these other. Uh, yeah, because that's a duff. That's a real duffer. That one. It's yeah. uh, it's that period, isn't it, where it was all a bit tricky. Yeah, so know? like we we followed this. In fact, we had a band that we called Ife, which is that like a Miles Davis track, and uh, it was like a jam band thing. But everyone, it was compulsory to have a wah wah pedal, no matter what you were playing. Kept this. <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole thing was just about yeah. you know how many wah wah pedals can yeah. you put in a room. Yeah. Kind of thing. Even on the snare drum. Yeah, and uh, we and we just had a stab at playing some of those riffs and yeah. things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we played a tennis club in Wally Range uh, <laughs> in, on some fucking Sunday or something, you know. What? And uh, it's like I've got to take that and all. And uh, once wow. the new order turned up to that, there was like Bernard and Rocky turned up to this thing. I don't know why, because Alan Alan knew them or whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean? And I remember them sort of not lasting, they'd last about 15 minutes. But that was important to us, all that, all that music. So, like, and then he went un- underground for a bit, didn't he? And he, he emerged with Man with the Horn. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and he gave he up, didn't he? But that, that uh, we went to the. Um, another cassette I got is Hammersmith Odeon when he came back, did his first comeback. Yeah, he played at Free Trade Ox, a lot of lads from school went, I didn't go, it was that album, uh, We Want Miles, you know, with Jean-Pierre on it, that, that, oh, right. that period. Yeah, no, I think that was the Apollo. Sorry, was it the Apollo? Yeah, yeah. Free Trade Ox? Yeah, yeah. you know what, he's, he's, you know where he stayed in Manchester? No. Sasha's Hotel. In Sasha's? The one with no windows? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's like this terrible fake yeah all you it's, people out there Sasha's hotel it's kind of you walk in the foyer and it's got a polar bear in it it's, it's got like stuffed animals and, and it's got painted windows in the room yeah it's, it's got, got like windows. a painting a painted scene of New York yeah, instead yeah. of a window there's no windows it's just it's a bizarre anyway you wouldn't put Miles Davis in Sasha's but they wow, did apparently Sasha's it's still there isn't it Sasha's still going yeah some mate of Emma's went to sell him some statues or something because <laughs> he was buying art he was doing art all the time yeah and I think he bought them actually you know yeah well think, Claire, Claire Turner you know because Claire's uh, Claire runs about Fred's as a gallery doesn't she so right. she knows them yeah. and that's where they used to put people up sashes right yeah Fred's, the, the travellers they yeah. stick them in sashes because they had a deal Matt used to know yeah and they think Claire was a connection and the Dean and yeah. stuff so. so yeah we went to a re- Every time yeah. Miles came across, we would go to the go gig and it, record yeah. it, and you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, you know, so that felt like a like an influence. When we were doing Biting Tongues mid-eighties, we were tr- all that kind of Mike Stern's kind yeah. of sound. Where yeah, yeah. I never got it, but we we yeah. were heading. It was an element in the mix of yeah. how to play music. The, some of the lines and the yeah, compositional yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, really yeah. Inf- influences at that point yeah, uh, yeah. but also a lot of the sort of weird Ornette Coleman harmonic stuff was a big influence yeah James Blood Ulmer um, decoding society yeah, yeah in fact yeah. if you listen to like some of the early 808 stage stuff some melodic elements of that are dead like decoding society oh, right. which is yeah. Ronald Shannon Jackson's group and it, and it was like you know it was a bit of a sort of mad obsession Jamaluddin Takuma is another uh, Ornette Coleman musician who we got the solo albums of and there's a yeah. kind of some of that lives on in Toolshed now we do some Ornette Coleman oh right okay tunes in that and uh, yeah, because yeah, the no, yeah. those gnarly sort of childlike yeah, yeah. You, you can't make you I mean, I just had to learn them with muscle memory kind of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and yeah. I, if I think about it, I fall off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like riding a bike with no hands kind of thing. It's like the minute you, you think about it, you fall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was listening. To the, the, I was this. I was looking through the real book last night, and um, the disguise um, is one of his. Like a like a time no changes bop. Very quite. And I was like yeah. listening. To, I was just listening to it on air yeah. and looking at the. Part I'm like, okay, it's like really hard this music, you know, to get those things right. Yeah, it's kind of all the notes you wouldn't normally play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, the, and the shapes and, these, and they're just vehicles, aren't they? Of, yeah. of, of, of there's just a way into. Well, there's a way of playing them as well, which has to be has to be right, you know, yeah. a kind of like a yeah. loose, kind of joyous childlike thing yeah, yeah, that is yeah. really I'm really interested in trying to get that Paddy's great at it yeah yeah you know, oh yeah he, 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 he gets he it he talked about Paddy you know, yeah. and playing oh Paddy let's talk years. about Paddy <laughs> well no I mean, it's like there's, there's a few bass players his bow you know I used to play with, with um, Clive he was like a father figure to me when I was in my early 20s because oh, we used to play when he was playing Clive's band bows most of the time Bo's on bass and, and mm. he could see I was a, just an idiot I was you know playing these tunes that just needed the drummer to be a drummer and I, yeah. and I had all this stuff yeah and he was like and he was always going come on man 
<laughs> and he's just looking Calm at down. me. Yeah, just like <laughs> this is this is and just steering me through yeah. the groove of the music, you know. Yeah. And um, and then there was like and then when I met Paddy and first started playing, and it was just the kind of just like the whole thing of of the construct of 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 the bass and 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 all and the way in which he thought about bass and the sound of it it's like nothing i'd ever yeah been close to it's weird it's, you can look at the way he moves like you know, the, like i remember when he was in yago and he, he, he was kinetic and he was sort of like the way he was on stage it's just sort of like he just moved in this different way where it's like uh there was a dance to it that is in the playing kind of thing. Yeah, and, totally. And, yeah. and that still is there. Um, it's like a signature thing. Yeah, but so, yeah, yeah. That's the bass playing. But in recent times, he's not been... He's got into building his own synths, into drumming. He's got really into drumming kind of okay. thing. Okay. Well, he had and that he's got, set up, didn't he? Yeah. For, where, when I when when I it was kind of the end of my time at Toolshed, he was yeah. doing that solo. Yeah. So he's like, been doing the solo you, thing. You were for, playing opposite him, weren't you? Yeah. As well, yeah. Yeah. That double bass drum pedal thing and all. Well, there's been a few I, I weird configurations. <laughs> yeah. In in. <laughs> It's it's been a, it was like a commute, everyone you could get around it. That, that's right, that was in home life that there was like a bass drum where there was one drummer on one end of it and another drummer on the other end of it, kind of thing. Oh, right, okay. It was I like, did like a prod, the second And, and yet Paddy had like, you know, it was like sort of wood blocks under his feet. Yeah, and Like sure, pedal, pedals yeah, doing yeah. all this shit. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd sit... Uh, but then that developed into just a duo of him and Tony and Paddy would sit playing the bass behind the drum kit and playing with his feet. That's right. And then yeah, he developed yeah. into building synths and now it's like this thing where he's uh, got this empire of home-built synthesizers. He wears all these costumes and and he, he's got like a glockenspiel with like uh, six humbuckers under the... <laughs> It's oh, like this it? mad solo. Yeah, yeah. And he, it's like a solo show, and it, uh, and he's for about over ten years he's been doing that. Yeah, it's very unique. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and yet he's kind of like he he only plays the bass in tool shed now, kind of thing, you know. And I, right. and, and it, it's like I play the bass, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but when he plays double or electric, there's like that physicality thing. Yeah. Because there's a sound thing, which you close your eyes and you're like, what the, what the fucking hell is that, you know? Yeah. Because I used to, when we, when we used to play live, and there would just be this, I mean, as, as an acoustic drummer, yeah. on the stage and people to try and imagine this this is what freaked my, my mate out when he watched it yeah. there was like you and you'd have this I mean it was a there was more gear in your bit of the stage than any stage would normally have on it in its entirety and it, everything yeah, definitely was got gas yeah it was, <laughs> but it was like these guitars and the, and the, and the sax you know the saxes and the, and the other wind instrument that you know, yeah. Turkish sort of um, you used to have like a kind of Turkish read small read thing and yeah was, yeah and, all, and then there'd be the keyboards and then there'd be the laptop and all this sound and all this stuff going on and and then you go to paddy's bank you know yeah. and it would be like what's just that what yeah. and then because he, he always brought the um what's it called the big the proper cab 
what's the name of that? It's oh like, yeah, Ampeg. Yeah, Ampeg. Yeah, yeah. And, he had, and, he, and he had the the valve head, didn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. a proper moving bass. Yeah, his bass um, actually at uh, one point, one point he had this uh, amplifier that he got. Somebody had sold it him, and it was the old uh, amps from the hacienda. It was actually some sort of weird. DJ, PA amp or something that had been in the Hacienda for years. <coughs> and then he got some sort of, yeah, it was like carting that stuff around. He's, he's got it down to something quite like you pick it up with one hand now. Oh, yeah, well, that, yeah. that, the, the commitment, the, this was all, and I'd like trudging with my, my drums and my cases, yeah. you know, and it was like, yeah. like bloody vans full of stuff. Yeah, but then was, the sound was, was yeah. but then there was the physicality. Um, of just that you start playing and that kind of move like you say on mm. electric or double there was a kind of movement thing yeah. and straight away you'd feel like you were in something yeah you know and it came like the bass it's it's always that thing from the bass for me as a, as a drummer the bass round about that time paddy had started this other project called home, home life, life yeah, and it was yeah. on ninja tunes that's right eventually well, well, he put it? some albums out himself and then it got on ninja tunes but yeah a lot of the players and C there was like was yeah strings from yeah. Uh, a group that of girls that we met at the royal northern college right. one being seeming toe who was like uh like kind of an operatic or, kind of single, yeah. almost like an ema sumac range of like low and high yeah. proper train yeah yeah very and was singing jazz as well yeah, she loved jazz, she but yeah, yeah, she, yeah, it's not natural jazz voice. It wasn't. It's no, not no, a jazzy no, voice. No. It's a yeah, yeah. and um, <clears throat> then there's C May and C May played cello. Cello, that's yeah. right. She's still going strong, doing a lot she of improvs. She's got really into the improv stuff, and she did some uh, course over in um, Rotterdam to to, lot, to, to do yeah, yeah yeah to do um, uh, great that course over there yeah, yeah. which is more about improvising and electronics and stuff yeah and then there was uh, Rosie Laudel who was a really good violin player that's right yeah. from the Royal Northern and yeah. um, Justin um, I've got his second name uh, played viola in it that's and right. so there was a string section yeah and then Pat did it didn't he uh, Pat Lingwood did it James Ford was in it Richard Harrison was in it again loads of drummers <laughs> loads of drummers yeah and yeah. sometimes there was uh, some some guy Paddy had uh, been in a kind of terrible with names um, yeah there was other drummers and uh, Simon King was an important factor he was a guitar was. player that uh, Paddy had got to know through doing film soundtracks in London yeah. and and Actually, Simon, I was reminded the other day that Simon King and Pat Lightingworth did Jerry Dammer's Sun Ra tribute. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. They were in that band. Um, I know that, right. Yeah. But Simon King was a force of nature. He was, uh, he was, yeah, he was kind yeah. of very compositionally uh, interesting, you know. Yeah. So he, yeah. he was a jazzer. But not a typical jazzer. He like he, he had some esoteric sort of equipment and he did, yeah, yeah. It was just another. I mean, yeah. He had a voice on the guitar that was yeah. like his his thing, and uh, compositionally he wrote some really interesting stuff. And and uh, who else was in it? Yeah, I mean, it was just great. It was just this a, a much more feminine band. Yeah, it was. It was than, a different than, vibe. Yeah, yeah. Too much. Even though a lot of the players, 
yeah. intersected. Yeah, and there was less laptop, wasn't there, involved yeah. in, in the home life thing? Yeah, more... I remember there was a period where we had a few things on mini-discs, that was always a bad idea. Yeah, I, 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 I went for a period of using mini-discs because yeah. I think it was... They jump, don't they? <laughs> it's so. just like, I was obsessed with that, or mini-disc, or yeah. then it was laptop, and yeah. I was obsessed with that thing for a long time. I've sort of got beyond it now, yeah. but I'm, you know... It's, uh, but I, I really enjoyed being in that band because it wasn't my band wasn't and again band. It, it was like that thing of like me um, being uh, an, in, an innocent in it you know yeah, yeah yeah and I didn't have the responsibility but I think Paddy did have the responsibility and that's like probably after a few years of doing it running a 12 piece or whatever is, is I mean, you did a lot, a lot you of admin you did a lot of gigs and you did gigs abroad yeah we used to because of the ninja tune logistic. thing we, we we went off doing yeah. uh, french things and yeah, uh, right, yeah. Uh, we we got some nice gigs you know and um yeah. uh, it was a joy to play in that band and the music was really interesting it was like mm. you had to, again you had some muscle memory some tricky stuff into it yeah, yeah, and that yeah. my role in it was keyboards mostly, uh, yeah, yeah. like and bass clarinet, which is another instrument I'm pretty obsessed with. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. sound of the bass clarinet, yeah, yeah. and like Howard Jacobs, who plays drums in Tulsa, right. yeah. actually went to the Royal Northern College doing clarinet. Did, so yeah. he's Mr. Bass Clarinet. So, you know, I could have amazing imposter syndrome being in in a room with him, but he's never. No, he's not the sort of person to do that. Not Howard. He's, I mean, he's a great drummer and percussionist, isn't he? Yeah. He's got that whole... But he, he, he's just bought a contrabass clarinet last, last year, which oh, is like, you know, some incredible level of tubing. Tubing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's occasionally he's, there, he's, so. he's whipping that out. I went to see him do this uh, production of Beowulf in uh, Huddersfield a few weeks ago, where he'd done all this Viking music. And so it's it, it, it built all this these. Um, it does look like a Viking, though, doesn't it? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's like a dream gig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It built all the shield, you know. It, it blacksmithed all these shields and spears and things, you know, because he's into a bit of forge, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and then he'd, he'd written this music and got all these sort of bowed things that are a bit like cellos, but apparently they're Nordic. Viking right. bowed. Okay. Forget what they're called. <laughs> but the orchestra was bonkers. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. like felt really, you know, pagan. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Old. And he's the man, you know. Yeah. But he had yeah, his yeah. contrabass clarinet out in that, oh, and he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, wicked." Because you've been doing that as a trio, haven't you? The toolship we've just. Some sometimes, yeah, we've done it as a trio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just uh, me, Howard, and uh, Paddy. But, um, so that kind of after the sisters thing stopped, the toolshed thing come back again? Or no, the, t- the, the toolshed thing's never gone away. Just yeah, gone, we've always, just always done. Rumbled on. Yeah, yeah, yeah not yeah. to. I mean, sometimes you just play, you know, a handful of gigs a year. You know, most of the time. You know. yeah, I really yeah. wish we could do a tour of it or something. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Where yeah. you can really dig in. You know. Yeah, because in Wigan, when yeah. we never got a chance, even at that period, there was we, I mean, we did that week because we did that film, Session yeah. 72. That was that, nice, wasn't that it? That felt like, week. yeah, it was, it was great, that, you know, because you felt like you were just, you just turn up somewhere every day and it's the same people and you're playing this music and it was yeah. felt like a community. Again, you got, it that. started getting good, didn't it? When yeah. You, where you could yeah, yeah, dig yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. But, um, 
Another one I remember we played the Corner House, didn't we? we that did. was a Twisted Nerve do, I think, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because the album came out on Twisted Nerve, didn't it? Yeah. Was the it album in? dates back to. 2005. Was that when it came out? The yeah. Double, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, it was recorded before. It was recorded but, over a long. Yeah. Yeah, I remember recording some of that. That little, yeah. little studio in Levin, Longsight. Yeah, Testarossa. It was Testarossa. Yes, behind the garage in Longsight. And he's a very nice guy, your mate. What Andy Rosser. Andy Rosser, because he mastered, <laughs> when I made a CD, he mastered it for me. He was, he was recording dance music in his house. These yeah, yeah. Were you, and, he, and he was at number two in the dance charts every week. Or yeah, yeah. The, these, the, house music is a weird animal. That it is like, there's these certain people who... who, who Knock out international hits in suburban, in suburban, new it was on a little street, yeah. Wasn't it? yeah, yeah. It was. That was his, and he went, I remember going around there and he mastered this CD for me and he was just getting all the levels right, you know. Yeah. And I'd known him from the studio and because I'd recorded yeah. there. And, and, and yeah. that's it's kind of been my experience that, like, you know, like with 808 State and we'd, we'd find a place. In fact, that, that years ago, that used to be a recording studio called Moonraker, and Moonraker. it was owned by Mike Hardin, the folk singer. That's right, Moonraker. But yeah. uh, many people passed through that little studio because of the price. Yeah, it was, was good. The price was right. Yeah. And Voodoo Ray was recorded in that studio. Oh, International right. house smash hit by a guy called Gerald. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, there was all kinds of. I think I recorded there when it was Moonraker as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there's various fall albums that were done in there. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's hard to not go in a studio in Manchester where the fall hadn't been. If you don't, I mean, I think they burnt a few bridges. <laughs> and another one I'm thinking of was we used to go in PWL studios, like Pete Waterman studios. Right. Where uh, I remember we were doing an album in there, and they're all, they're all house guys, you know, all kind of like all pop guys, you know. Yeah. And we'd go in doing all this weird, weird stuff, and they'd be like, they'd, they'd all be kind of fascinated by why are you doing this, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. and they pop in, and you get to have brews with them and that. And Marky e. Smith was doing a spoken word album in PWL, so there was a moment we were in the. Um, common room you know like making a brew or whatever yeah and there's like us 808 state marquis smith and steps steps and some guy from from holly oaks yeah whatever, <laughs> whatever yeah. all yeah, in this yeah. room <laughs> having a brew <laughs> with the <kettle> of like, <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. that's manchester that, that was then yeah, yeah. it really was this, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 that feels like a great place to finish, really. Yeah. yeah. Better add, otherwise we'll never... I'll just be here all night. That's great. Thanks, Graham. That's been amazing. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah, me too, yeah. And um, got through quite a lot of that on there without even needing to, you know, reference to it, to be honest with you. How, how big is that? Well, there you go. That's the end of uh, my interview with Graham Massey. Uh, some great stuff in that second part. Um, we had forgotten all the... I just had to listen through quite a bit of it, actually, because I'd sort of forgotten some of the bits of it and uh, really weaved around through all sorts of different stuff. Um, yeah, so mega. So thanks, yeah, thanks for checking in. Uh, really appreciate it. And, yeah, I'll be back next month. So I've sort of lost track. I've been away in the Middle East for nearly three weeks. And I've got a bit of a cold, which is probably why I sound a bit weird. Um, so apologies for that. But yes, it's um, it's January now, isn't it? 
God, yeah, January 7th, which was when I, I sort of promised I'd publish this uh, episode, which I'm going to do um, tonight. And so the next episode will be, yeah, first Sunday of February and uh, back to the regular format of me rambling on for a, a, um, a, an unspecified amount of time about an unspecified to- topic going down different rambling um, rabbit holes and um, tangents etc so yeah that'll be uh, February and just to say again as I always say every um, every time thanks to my friends at Johnny Roadhouse in Manchester if you need any musical instruments etc etc go uh, go and check out what they've got down there it's always been a, a centre of kind of music and people and a social vibe and stuff. It's been around a long time. And, um, yeah, it's good to support local businesses and businesses that are owned, family-owned businesses. That's what we should be doing these days. It's difficult. I know it's easy to just buy everything on Amazon because it's, you know, easy to just sit at home and uh, drink coffee and have a bit of a vibe. But um, if you, yeah, fancy getting out into Manchester and... Um, I mean, the drum vibe, I go on a Friday because Lee Mullen's there on a Friday and uh, a good friend of mine, um, my brother. And, yeah, we always have a bit of a laugh if I can get down there. It's always tricky for me term time when I'm teaching and I'm working because I work five days in Leeds. So the Fridays, it's tricky to get down there during terms. So I probably won't be able to see, won't be down there till probably Easter. Um, Anyway, so, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Check out Johnny Roadhouse. Uh, Thanks for listening. Really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'll be back uh, next month. So bye for now.